You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Starscream, you led me into this trap. Megatron, the fanals have tricked me. Those fleshlings that make the pop culture podcast for the fans by the fans. Either you are lying or you are stupid. I'm stupid, I'm stupid. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fan Holes Podcast. And if you remember last week, we were discussing the Marvel Comics miniseries, Transformers Universe, in honor of the release of the latest release of the Transformers film franchise. And so we're back again this week. We're going to be picking up where we left off. We're going to be starting with issue number two of Transformers Universe. I'm Derek, Derek WC, your host, and joining me tonight to discuss some Transformers Universe are two of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you give a shout out, guys? Yo, 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 it's Breakdown breaking at ya. <laughs> it's Micatron. Micatron? Do you have like a little <laughs> black hole thing in your t-shirt or something? Like Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, Micatron. Awesome. <laughs> Micatron. I just need that weird, like, vocoder effect on my voice. That is impossible to replicate. I somebody know, get I've on tried. That. Like, yeah, yeah, somebody get on that. I've tried. It can't be done. It's lost to the, the annals of sound recording history. Wally Burr took it to his grave. All right, so Transformers <laughs> Universe Is 2? he dead? I don't even no, know. No, he's not dead. <laughs> no, he's still alive. He has his plot, though, and he buried it already, and soon he will join it. <laughs> You know, I know. The, the I know. Recording, he's, he's, recording equipment might have a gravesite. You never know. He's probably old as fuck now, but yeah, I, I was like, I thought he was still alive. <laughs> yeah, he's alive. <laughs> he's good. Everybody, don't fret. Um, so well, by, the, by the time this record, don't like we might by the time this recording like comes out, maybe he'll be dead. Like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm gonna vouch for for Wally. He's gonna hang in there by the time this recording comes out. So you doubt dead. my psychic powers? Yeah, I know. <laughs> we we know this stuff. Wally's all good. What a bunch of fools they are, huh? You're a little bit slow, aren't you, Wally? What? What do you mean? Are you saying that I'm wrong, R.C.? Wally, if they increase this magnetic energy level, they can control the computer. What? Is that right? Anyway, Transformers Universe 2. We're looking at the cover. Um, this is going to be kind of a... Well, kind of. It's going to be an exactly a page-by-page type podcast. Um, just just to point out, you know, this is kind of inspired by the 
Who's Who podcast over at the Fire and Water podcast where they kind of go through and do the Who's Who stuff, the different entries there. But we're kind of doing it for Transformers. So uh, we're just looking at the cover here, and it's a double-page spread, of course. And uh, just like the last cover, there's all these series of boxes with various different Transformer profiles of the characters that are going to be featured throughout the issue. But then in the foreground, we're seeing some laser fire, some cannon fire exchanges between the leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime. And then on the back end of the cover, it's the leader of the Decepticons, Megatron. So basically... I like, I, I like how nonchalant they're, they're both, like, <laughs> standing, like, very yeah, casual. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, they, they, they know they're going to miss. Like, they, they know they're not actually aiming for anything critical. It's like, Prime, I will totally destroy the back of your bruh, shrubbery or something. I don't know what he's... <laughs> I don't know what Megatron's aiming for exactly, but yeah, but yeah, and then and then of course on mine I don't have the barcode. Do you have the barcode, Mike? Because yes. we're looking we're looking at it. We've got the little the little Spider-Man face because that was a, obviously a direct market comic copy that did not need the barcode. But then I guess if you have the the uh, sort of Seven Eleven copy or, or or the drugstore copy or wherever you pick this up, you know maybe it has the barcode. Yeah, I think I've got this is like I think this is like a second printing or something. Cause, okay. Cool. Yeah, I think it says like 1986. Because oh no, wait, this one was printed in 1987, so it's probably the second printing of it. Okay. So on the first page, uh, we're we're basically picking up where we left off. This is basically going in alphabetical order, and we're starting with the Protectobot Groove. And Groove is, uh, he's got the scout function, and like I said, he is a Protectobot. His first appearance here is Transformers issue number 24, and his quote is, War is always a problem, never a solution. So he's one of those, like, pussy pacifists who gets beat up by Cyclonus all the time. But, uh, so we got Groove. Groove is a protective bot. He turns into a motorcycle. I will say this for Groove. Groove was the first protective bot I ever owned. And I constantly, I don't know if anybody else did this, but I was always trying to put, like, Duke or some G.I. Joe on Groove's back so they could go team up and stuff. I, I, how, I don't how successful was that? Was he like in the eh, right scale? Or? Not, not really. Like, like I, I think he was like, you know, Duke popped a few too many Pim giant man pills. Like not, not like giant giant, but like, you know, he, he, he put a dribble of it in his canteen or something. Cause he was, he, Duke was a little too big to fit on there. Like, cause groove was kind of tiny. If you remember, they're kind of, you know, defense or stubby arms, but I still, I, I think at that point I wasn't super concerned with scale as a child. I was just kind of like, get on his back, let's zoom around and drive, you know. So I like. I think we talked about this when we talked about Blast Off last issue. But I like how everyone gives Groove shit for being a giant motorcycle, but they don't give Blast Off shit for being a tiny space shuttle. Yes, yes, <laughs> I I will concur with that. I still like my logic that he could possibly be a transformer motorcycle and not necessarily a human one. Yeah, like a junkie on. Yeah, it'd be close to in scale then. So um, just having owned the Groove figure, I would just like to point out that while these fluoro deary designs, as we discussed, these are all fluoro deary illustrations, that Groove has his arms and has a full set of arms here. But if you actually owned the Groove toy, his arms were like 
the motorcycle engine pieces that sort of flipped out and had these awkward little sort of, I don't know, handlebar hands, I guess is the best way to describe them, but they were shiny. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. A better toy than, like, the GoBot, you know, motorcycle, uh, Night Ranger or whatever, the blue one. I don't know if anyone had him, but he was close to the same scale, but, like, a much worse <laughs> transformation. Was, so, was Night Ranger part of a combiner? Because I seem to remember owning, like, a police car that, like, turned into a big GoBot robot, but I don't know what his um, name I don't think Night Ranger is part of any group. Okay. And the police car may be from Puzzler. Yeah, Puzzler. That's what it was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I had that police car at some point. Mm-hmm. I liked the like the one appearance he had in the cartoon or whatever. I liked his animation model too. I thought he was cool looking, but yeah, this toy kind of blows. All right. So any anything else on Groove, or are we moving on to the next page? I think I remember that like Frank Welker ran out of voices by the time he had to voice Groove, and he just had like Mirage's voice. He's like, "Sorry, Prime, the ship was full." Yeah. Like, uh, I think Brian mentioned it last episode, when him and Streetwise are, like, herding the humans into the meat locker, and he's kind of like, won't they freezing here? (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right, so then the next page, we have Headstrong, who is, uh, holds the allegiance of Decepticon, and he is part of the subgroup, the Predacons, and his function is ground assault, and his first appearance is Transformers issue number 25. And his tech spec quote is the best advice is not to listen to advice <laughs> stirring wit he's he's a clever one that headstrong i don't think i owned headstrong i know i had several predacons i had dive bomb and rampage for sure but i did not own headstrong i don't know if it's officially mistransformed in his a uh, bot mode but like that's not how i would put his rhino head up you know, in bot mode, it looks backwards. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. Yeah, what it, is the toy, like, it's just sticking straight up, or...? That's how I have mine, but, like, I don't know if I follow the official instructions, but that's how I mostly see it, even when I see other people's pictures of it, so I'm guessing that's wrong in the picture. Okay. That's some crazy fluoro-dairy shit right there, then. But, hey, no one can sneak up on them, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or he could like uh, spin his head around and have like a like rock steady head or something. No, he's just he's just like I've got eyes in the back of my head, and he's like all literal and stuff. But um, I've never owned any of the Predacons. Like I keep meaning to like pick up one of the reissues of Predaking or whatever, but I haven't had the money or inclination to do it. They're pretty cool. The cats are the best. The cool cats. Yeah, yeah I, think, I don't know. They share like a pretty similar transformation. I think they look the best in both modes. Dive bombs probably like third best, and then you know bringing up the rear would be headstrong and tantrum probably. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I had tantrum, I had rampage, and I had dive bomb, but I did not have uh, razor claw to my chagrin or uh, or headstrong. Does Headstrong have all yellow like he does in this Fluoro Deary design, Brian? Or? No, he has like his um, rhino front feet like collapse into his chest, so he has like two black rectangles on his chest that break up that yellow a little bit. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. I like I like how his rhino mode has like weird like like 
I don't know, like bumpy legs. Almost or, scales or something. Yeah. Rhino plating armor. So yeah, I guess I guess his weakness is that he can't see very well. He needs some contact lenses. Or he something. has poor eyesight. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe know, something yeah. related to actual rhinos. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. How can know. that be though? I, I we don't... can see. We just we just discussed that he can see three hundred and sixty degrees. Three sixty vision, man. Maybe 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 like the back of the three sixty doesn't work so well. It's only like the the he shade has part that's cool. Full five feet. <laughs> Oh, well. So much for that advantage. All right. Goodbye, Headstrong. You you didn't have much characterization, so I can't think of too much more to say about you. But this guy had some fair bit of characterization here. This next page is Hoist. And Hoist is a maintenance Autobot who first appeared in Transformers issue number 14 and teamed up with a pale imitation of Bruce Springsteen. What was his name? Like Brick Springstone or something? Yeah, it was something lame like that, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And like the, it's like, in the Z Street Band, you know? <laughs> Just like, what? Okay, whatever. And uh, his quote is, you have to be rolling before you can be fighting. Okay, so... I guess that's. I guess he has to transform before he fights. I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that is, but uh, you know, Hoist is kind of like I don't know. I, I feel like Hoist and and Grapple go together, kind of like Laurel and Hardy. Like they always like were hanging out together on the cartoon and kind of pretty much went hand in hand. Like if he was maintaining something while well, Grapple was building it or something. But I don't know what you guys think about Hoist, other than you know, I guess he's a what he's a kind of like a, another version of um, Trailbreaker, kind of like a recolor or something. Well, Hoist Goes Hollywood is a pretty atrocious episode, and I don't know, that, that... Yeah, aside from that, like, debut, like, issue where he, like, holds up the scaffolding so Brick Springsteen can keep playing or whatever, you know? I, I don't think I've ever had many, like, a strong attachment to Hoist at all, so... So what you're saying is he didn't he didn't go on to greatness in the uh, no. Autobot cause then yeah no he's kind of and he's kind of dumpy looking I guess even. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say if like someone if one of your friend's dad was going to turn into a transformer he'd probably end up looking like Hoist <laughs> like with his beer gut belly it looks like he's wearing some kind of obnoxious shorts and his you know tent pole legs sticking out down below him <laughs> I don't know this is always a picture I got. Uh, awesome. His awesome. his IDW spotlight was all right. I mean, it wasn't like bad, and it wasn't like super good or anything. But I mean, I I think like it, it, the funniest part of it was where like he's like he kind of says to like Swerve, who's kind of like ribbing him. He's like, you know why you can't get a handle on me? Because my personality isn't like the subject of like you know some kind of. Psych- psychosis, sir. Like, I'm not a nut. I'm just a normal guy, and that's why you can't wrap your head around me. So I guess that's kind of, like, indicative of Hoist in general. He's just a guy, basically. He's just a guy who turns into a tow truck. So that Hoist, w- was that uh, the special something that came with the the new Hoist that's out from Hasbro? Yeah. They released it regularly, like, in comic shops, like, a couple months beforehand, but... Yeah, yeah. Okay. So does anybody have any opinions on that that hoist, the new version of hoist, compared to the old version? Like, is he as dumpy as as Brian was describing, or is he a little is he a little less dumpy? Much cooler now. He's like you know, 
uh, a more fit version. He's the dad that got back into working out and <laughs> trying to pick up younger chicks, I guess. Nice, nice. All right, all right, Hoist. You go, you go, boy. What a robot! What did you say your name was? They call me Hoist. What a name! Good job, Moist! The next page is a Decepticon from the subgroup Constructicons. This is Hook, probably the brain of the Constructicons, as his function is surgical engineer, and his first appearance is Transformers issue number 10. His quote is, Strive for perfection even if others must suffer. So I guess he's, I don't know, he kind of had that kind of, you know, roar, 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 like all yeah. hoity-toity voice. Um, he was the, probably you know, the only one of the Constructicons that kind of, you know, I guess, I guess if this was a Turtles analogy, he would be the Donatello of the Constructicons, probably. So. He is, he's, well, then again, I, guess, I was going to say he is purple, but then again, a lot of the Constructicons have purple. Yes, that's true. That's true. Now, this is a question I always had, even as a kid. I don't. I never really understood what. Like, I've never, I've never seen a construction vehicle that quite looks like what Hoist turns into. You mean like, Hook? Even, oh, oh, oh! Sorry, Hook. Sorry. You said you said Hoist. Yeah, because I was still stuck on the last page. Yeah, that turns into what Hook looks like. Yeah, my apologies. Like a dual-driven crane or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, you kind of get what it is, like, he's a crane, but, like, I don't know, it just, it looks a little more futuristic than I would imagine your average everyday construction vehicle looking. And I think, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen one in person, but I, I'm sure I've seen pictures of cranes that, like, look like that. Look like that? Cool. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think, obviously, they're not, like, bright neon green or whatever, but... Like the purple windows are a rarity. <laughs> yeah, the purple tinted windows too. But. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast or not, but I loved Hook's pistol. Like I always used it for like all kinds of figures. Like I would use it for like Secret Wars figures and like basically anybody that that pistol fit in their hands. Like I always thought that was a cool looking. Pistol. It was the most. It was the most like substantial one of the six guys seemed like like it the others i don't know sometimes they seem cheesy or cheap i think they like i think they used hook's pistol as like that the like standard pistol for the constructicons because i i know i've seen like scavenger using a pistol that looked exactly like that too like oh, in the move when he kills prowl in the movie he's using oh uh, okay okay interesting yeah I mean, it, I, I think it does have a really nice design, and, and like I said, I, I pretty much used it on all kinds of different action figure lines as long as it sort of fit in their hands. So, yeah, I liked it. Um, oh, the other thing that I may or may not have mentioned last last podcast is I think Hook was – I did have all the Constructicons, but that front end of Hook was a casualty, like that leg, that leg piece with the little – cockpit or whatever that snapped off early on so often i would have a devastator that kind of looked like i don't know his chest had a cavity in it you know where you could <laughs> couldn't see the whole chest or whatever so but um yeah, i think that whole assembly was kind of like rickety and weak like that the way he transformed like that yeah whole... well it was it was weird because it had that that weird sort of kind of like slider or whatever where you kind of had to slide it out and like that was often a case where you could like in the middle of his waist like you could see yourself breaking it because it would it, it was one of those things where 
I don't know how to explain it, but it was like it had to be in a certain position to be loose, and then it had to be in a certain position to lock and hold. And like sometimes getting it between one and the other, if you were kind of a impatient kid transforming something, you know, you could easily either break it or, you know, maybe. May, I mean, that might have even been how I broke his his um, his leg or something. So I think like it was a weird like combination of metal and plastic in that joint. Yeah, yeah. To where like if it'd been either all metal or all plastic, either one probably w- would have worked a lot better. But as is, like, that metal, like, would wear down the plastic so much that it is just, like, prone to breakage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the plastic hunk of the part was the one that broke off and not the metal, per se. So Yeah. Yeah. You do know, though, that overuse of his crane can result in metal stress fractures, Derek. So, I mean, they do it. It says it right there. Yeah. I think think the overuse of his crane also resulted in me pulling out the crane entirely from its houses. (laughs) So just just so everybody knows, they're uh, but, customizing at a young age. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like battle damage took a rare <laughs> exclusive like C nine point four, like ten million dollars eBay. Come get it. Um, yeah, so definitely. All right, so hook constructicons. Moving on, uh, we've got Hotspot up next, who is a protectabot. He is the leader of the Protectobots, and his first appearance is Transformers 24, and his quote is, the hotter things get, the better I like it. So he's all in oh, yeah. where, where the action is, apparently. Uh, Hotspot? Hotspot was a fun toy. I remember having Hotspot, and, uh, you know, here he is a blue fire truck. I don't know if Hotspot had any other kind of incarnations later on, but in this Original version, you know, like all the Protectobots, he is usually some kind of emergency vehicle of some kind. Uh, you know, whether it's a police motorcycle, police car, uh, medical helicopter, and now we've got a uh, emergency blue fire truck. I don't know that I've seen many blue fire trucks in my life, but you know, hey. I don't. Th- I don't think I would be very confident in a fire truck that has a fireball like painted on its door, like <laughs> or whatever that is, like a comet or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look Look at even, like, his weaknesses. It's like, his fireball cannon often backfires, releasing large amounts of the flammable <laughs> liquid that powers it. He himself is invulnerable to the liquid's effects, but the liquid can cause considerable fire damage to anything around it. <laughs> He's like, whoops, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just when they think they're saved. Like the secret origin of Chip Chase, you know. <laughs> Hotspot spilled flammable liquid on his legs. <laughs> God damn it, Hotspot. See, that's why they all feel guilty, because they flamed Chip Chase's legs. Um, so you didn't know that about the protected bots, but you heard it here first. Hotspot also has the dubious honor of following in Optimus Prime's footsteps. Like, in his first appearance in 24, he watched Optimus Prime blow himself up, and then he was like, dude, I gotta get me some of that action. And then in Generation 2, he blew himself up. (laughs) Yeah, he did go out rather ignominiously in Generation 2. There were some kind of ignominious deaths in that, where it's just like, hey, what's up, dude? (laughs) (laughs) I think he learned the wrong lesson. Uh... Is that is that why maybe uh, Optimus Prime later took the mode of a, a fire truck and robots in disguise? You know, uh, <laughs> cross cross yeah, cross continuity, like like uh, solidarity. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, Hotspot, I know the 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 original toy came with like all the defensor parts and stuff like that. So you got like his little chest pieces that attached onto the front and then you could use his his cannons as defensor's cannons and stuff like that. So um but he was he, I, I felt like he was much more of a substantial toy. I mean I don't know if somebody would call him a, a brick these days, but I always thought like I, I was never I, I guess as opposed to when you know when you would assemble stuff like the Constructicons, you were always afraid they were gonna sort of fall apart as Devastator because, you know, maybe some of the pieces would easily you know, fall off if you actually, you know, sort of moved the the combined figure around. But I, I always thought Hotspot was, was fairly solid, at least when they had that, you know, th- this kind of centralized leader figure as the the center of a, a, a gestalt or whatever. Like, I always thought they were, they were much more substantial. I'd agree with that. You know what I always thought was weird, and I guess it's kind of reflected in this, like, the character model. Like, the toy, it has the two wheels in the front and, like, the single wheel in the back. And, like, the robot mode character model here, like, reflects that. But then if you look at his fire truck drawing here, he has the one wheel in front and two wheels in back. Uh, interesting. I always thought that was kind of weird. I was like, what? Fire trucks don't look like this when I had, like, when I, like, finally got my hands on a hotspot, like, toy. I was like, what? Why does he have two wheels in front? Yeah, aside from being painted light blue and having a comet on his, his door. Yeah, exactly. He also, like, what he kind also of fire truck has is multiple this? wheels, yes. Well, you know, hey, he's, he's a fire truck from the future or something. Who knows? A Cybertronian fire truck. But uh, I guess that's the easy out. But we're going to move on from Hotspot and go on to the next page, which is everybody's favorite army jeep. This is Hound, and his function is a scout. He's an Autobot. His first appearance is Transformers issue number one. His quote is, observe everything. Remember even more. So we've got Hound here. And, you know, this is one of the more interesting descriptions because it seems like he's kind of like, you know, along with Beachcomber, like one of the more, I guess, enthralled Autobots with Earth culture and and the fact that he just, you know, they're they're talking about how he likes to sniff around the Grand Canyon and how he just loves being on Earth, you know, as opposed to, I guess, you know, somebody like, you know, Mirage in the cartoon who's always, you know, I want to go home, you know, like Hound obviously revels in his time on Earth, and I guess that's just maybe reflected in his character. You know, he seems to be kind of a a good-natured, you know, Autobot who's just happy to be around. I always thought the guy, I forgot what his name was, the guy who voiced him was, like, trying to emulate, like, Jimmy Stewart or something, like, when he Mm. voiced him. He was like, ease off your throttle, cliff jumper. Prime, there's a weird-looking kid. (laughs) There's a weird... Looking at me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's like, I was wrong. I want to live again. I want to live. <laughs> He's like, Primus. <laughs> He's like, Primus, there's angels. He runs through the ark like, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, all of you. So uh, the other thing I always thought was interesting was, I guess, what Hound's ability here seems to be like he can what he can make like hologram three-dimensional illusions right so like on the on the cartoon he he like tried to project that image of what was it like the the energy 
facility or whatever, and then eventually the Decepticons, like, punch it all up, and then they find out it's, like, a fake or whatever. <laughs> Complete with, um, like, mini-bots in lab coats and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. W- wasn't it, like, it was, like, yeah, Gears and all those guys were, like, wearing, like, coats and stuff, yeah. Pretty flimsy. Pretty flimsy plan. Well, you know, I guess if they if everybody has the same uh, uh, vision that uh, Headstrong has, maybe they were all easily fooled. <laughs> you know, they all don't have twenty twenty Decepticon vision. You know, they had to go to Decepticon lens crafters or something to uh, figure that all out. As long as a herd of rhinoceroses attack, like we'll be okay. You know? Be fine. They'll never know the difference between a uh, a fifteen foot Autobot in a, a lab coat and a regular human being. Did anybody ever own Hound, or has there been any other updates of Hound since the classic character? He got a classics release, which was actually a really cool toy. But um, the original's kind of like, uh, I guess I would describe it as a delicate toy. Like, um, if you look at his vehicle mode here, like almost anything sticking up around his, like, you know, the main frame of his uh, Jeep mode, like, can break off and will break off. Like, he has a detachable, like, gas can and stuff, and... Bits and pieces were always falling off of them if you weren't very careful. Did that did that front windshield get really loose and kind of I guess you know loosey goosey eventually? Yeah, I seem to remember people that owned it. You know, it was like it was usually like flipped in one direction or the other and never really stood uh-huh. up straight or what have you. On mine, like you have like one or two degrees of. Uh, forgiveness that you can like put his window into <laughs> and if it's not exactly there it'll like immediately yeah, it'll... like drop into his cab or drop onto the hood. Nice. Nice. Now is this something that was good for those those um what did you call what did the little guys that came with the, the Japanese version the diaclone guys like is this pretty good for like having like little little guys sit in his cheap mode or I think so like the seats seem like they'd be perfect for it like the right size to fit them. Cool. Yeah. So I, I guess there's lots of what fanfic type stuff with with uh, Hound and and GI Joe, or am I mistaken? I don't think as much as you'd think. You'd think his his vehicle mode would be like ideal for GI Joe, like some but, kind of crossover toy. Yeah, but nothing yeah. really jumps like to mind. Jumps out. Okay. Okay. All right. So I guess we can we can move on from Hound and then turning to the next page. Uh, I, I this is the probably. I want to say, other than Laserbeak, I'm kind of confused, but I think this is the first Transformer I ever owned. So it's got a soft spot in my heart. This is Aww. Huffer. Yeah, this is this is Huffer. He's the, he's an Autobot. He is a construction engineer, and his first appearance is Transformers issue number one. His quote is, molecular structure is the key to success. Now, with the Florodiri design here, he actually has... I guess when we say, like, oh, this guy earned a face or got a face, well, well, Huffer got some fists out of the whole redesign deal here. Um, the actual original Huffer, if you look at his vehicle mode, he turns into a mini, you know, I guess big rig or what have you. He's kind of like a cab without the trailer, kind of like a little Optimus Prime. Um, but his arms were actually his smokestacks, pretty much, and his shoulders were you know, his wheels, but in, in the case of this Fluoro Deary design, you know, obviously the arms are still metallic like the smokestacks, 
but I, I think in maybe the animation model or what have you, you know, these little fists would pop out of the end of the smokestacks. But, of course, the original figure just kind of had the ends of the smokestacks as his hands. To his function of construction engineer, which I never saw any proof of, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to add the job title of whiny bitch. I know the racing bit was bad news, but would anybody listen to me? Oh, no. <laughs> Stifle it, Huffer, or I'll put my footio in your audio. Huffer's like, it'll never work or something. <laughs> yeah, man, like, I'm sorry, Derek, but I fucking hate Huffer. <laughs> oh, man, like, seriously, like, he's my least favorite mini-bot. I think he's ugly looking, and I think he was, like, terrible in the cartoon. What, and what, what's, he, what's totally, the... he towed Prime's trailer, man, what, what? And what's the deal with the weird, like, Virgin Mary, like, cave on the back there that is, like, like his his character model had? <laughs> I don't know. He, yeah, as opposed to having a, a square back piece, what Mike is talking about is the the rear, I guess, piece of, of Huffer's design is drawn in a much more circular fashion where it looks like he's at the, the uh, you know, the domorama or something instead of <laughs> instead of having a a you know kind of a a square you know angular shaped rear piece which is what it should look like if you actually like look at the toy or whatever uh but you know i mean i guess that's part of his weakness right because it does it does say like huffer is prone to severe bouts of depression as a result of his homesickness so i guess that that's their way of sugarcoating that he's a whiny whiny bitch so <laughs> But hey, I, I'm gonna give props to Huffer because man, when when Prime couldn't drive around his trailer that uh, amorphously disappears into negative space most of the time, he he picked up the slack and actually drove Prime's trailer. So I always I always thought he was a nice guy because of that. So I guess moving on to the follow-up page, we've got Inferno, and this is not for the royalty. This is an Autobot. And his function is search and rescue. And I guess by this point, I don't know, did did Inferno eventually show up later on in the comics? Because we kind of established, like, this is in, like, what, 86 or 87. And, and by that he, point, there'd only been, like... He showed up in the UK and in G2, but never, I don't think, ever in the, like, original Marvel run. Oh, okay. Like, him, and, him and Red Alert were, like, left out of the original, like, Marvel run. Okay. So he's got a listing. He does not have any first appearance because he's never appeared in the Marvel comic. And his quote is where there's smoke, there's me. So I guess, you know, the, the, the most we could do is, is talk about his cartoon appearances. Now I guess Huffer has the, or Huffer. see. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm always a uh, listing back. Um, Inferno has the distinction of being one of the only Autobots to have a girlfriend, right? <laughs> Yeah, and his girlfriend was named Firestar too. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, so I, there's that. Yeah, there's that. He he's a fellow fire truck, right? Sort of, kind of. I don't know what he is. He's red. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird looking. Like that's a weird drawing of his fire truck. Like it looks like his cab is like not connected to the rest of him or something. Yeah, I don't. know. I had like G two Inferno. So, and I, I'd like, and he's basically the same as G One Inferno. What, what, um, not, not to uh, offend Brian, but what obscene color did they pick for G Two Inferno? 
He was. I think he was pretty much exactly the same. Actually, he oh, was red. Maybe he had a couple variations, but I think I thought, he was I thought you were gonna say like he was like turquoise, and then he had like these, <laughs> he was, these, these weird red like zebra lines on him or something. Or, yeah, yeah, that would have been like reverting to type. Yeah, but no, I think he was pretty much the same. I don't know, okay. Brian. Did you, did you have an original Inferno? Um, I had an original G1 Inferno, and like I didn't know that he was released in G2, so I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he's probably colored the same. Yeah. In his G2 oh, release. All they changed was like the Autobot symbols, I think, like to the G2 symbols, and that's it. And and they gave him like a water cannon or something. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. It, it was made a big deal of in his like commercial, like in the '90s when they like used rap and stuff, like in the G2 commercials. It's like you know they show like the water cannon knocking over some like clear plastic blocks, and it's like you know Inferno's water cannon is illin or whatever. <laughs> Inner City Youth loved water cannons. You can't you can't blame Hasbro for trying. Yep, uh, they knew their audience. Inferno. I like his classics toy. Like I think it's people like tend to like overlook it or underrate it, but I think it's really solid. Mm-hmm. Has Inferno made any? I, I'm trying to remember because I, I don't. Has Inferno made any like appearances in IDW at all? He's on the Lost Light. I know that, but I don't think yeah. he's done anything. He's not done much. All right. Cool. Inferno. So, okay, here's another one. I don't know if I'm going to get slammed for this or not, but uh, this is another one of my more favorite Autobots. This is Ironhide, and he is uh, security for the Autobots. So he's kind of like the wharf of the Autobots, I guess. And his first appearance is Transformers, issue number one. And his quote is, high-tech circuitry is no replacement for guts. So that's that's my... <laughs> If there's nothing else I remember from Ironhide, I'll always remember that one headlight was pink and one was white. <laughs> awesome. uh, all I can say is, is uh, you know, for me, uh, there are embarrassing stories of customization. As I owned Ironhide, the toy, uh, it wasn't one of the first Transformers I ever got, but it was one of the early ones that I first got. I always thought he was a cool guy on the cartoon, and he was pretty, you know, he, he had some significant dialogue on the cartoon and everything. You know, I remember the time on Cybertron and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I grabbed him. Um, but what I did do was I, I kind of went, where's his head? You know, and I guess, you know, technically, like, when you transform him, you know, here it's the Fluoro Deary design where he's got, you know, significant, I guess, arms and head here. If you, um, if you like, really think about it, like, basically he took the front of the van and then built a robot around that, basically, for yeah. that character model. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I think, like, it, the the toy, the windshield, you know, of the van was his head, I guess, with a windshield in front of it. You know, like, that was the idea. That's the, the, the His seat in the van was, I guess, supposed to be his head. And that never really sat well with me. So, invariably, I tried to take, like, you know, paper or, or sort of, like, you know, labels, you know, like white labels and kind of wrap it either on top or on the windshield. So, like, you know, and I probably drew, like, this obscenely, stupidly looking happy face on it or maybe a face <laughs> with, like, gritted teeth or something. But, you know, it was my, my vain attempt at, at giving Ironhide what I perceived as a more proper head than than he had. Um, and then and then basically the, the cab of his van mode turned into this little 
contraption that you would see on the right here in the the character model where I, I don't know what you call that. It's like a little tank sort of where he's got a little rocket thing at the top and, and a little laser at the bottom. So I think it's called like a mobile repair bay or something. I think hmm. they had like some official like like lingo for it somewhere. Well, I guess I guess it would make sense if it's a repair bay because Ratchet had one of those as well, I guess, because they're kind of the same same mold, same model sort of. So Okay, maybe for Ironhide it's just like a old person wheelchair or something. <laughs> yeah. I remember the time on Cyber wait a minute. Patch up my arm. <laughs> it's like when uh, when he drink when he drinks too much, they like tow him home and that. Like you know, they when just he, lay, he, they he, lay him down in that and just drag it away. When he follows Blue Streak into battle, you know, he's gotta get patched up by his mobile repair cab or what have you. Um I I mean even even in some of the later stuff, like I, I was happy to see Ironhide get some focus, you know, even in some of this more recent IDW stuff. I mean, I know it's a little uh more incumbent on him having these visions and maybe you know, having a faith that maybe the other Autobots don't share, but I'm I'm still happy to see him, you know, get some some spotlight and be significant as opposed to sort of, you know, I guess you know it, it was kind of shocking in the in the movie to me at least to see a guy like Ironhide get snuffed out. You know, I mean, it was still a really cool scene, but you know, I I, I guess that was probably if if any of the deaths besides Optimus Prime, you know, hit me at all, it was probably. You know, watching Ironhide getting you know his head blown off or whatever. So, I I don't I guess as a character I don't really have strong feelings towards him. He's always kind of there, and like I don't know, like there's this like sometimes he annoyed me in the cartoon because he'd be like you know like Bram let's I don't know he kind of struck me as kind of obnoxious I guess like in his like gun honus like. Where I guess like someone like Braun was like clever about it, but Ironhide was just like, let's go over there and do this thing and stuff. And I don't know, but it's like uh, there's. I think there's a moment in like one of those like all hail Megatron like aftermath stories where Prowl like kind of has a like a uh, whole thing about this where he's like you know uh, he, he he says something like. Uh, Oh well, you know, all my logic and strategizing says, you know, we gotta like wait and see, and you know, take our time and see what the Decepticons do. But then you have someone like Ironhide, like who has Prime's hair, and he's like, you know, well, Prime, let's go out and like do some stupid stuff. And he's like, and of course, Optimus is gonna listen to Ironhide over me. So, but so that's kind of how I have always felt too. Where I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess I guess for me, like I always kind of thought of it as like I know you know comic wise and tech spec wise, it always seemed like Prowl was was second in command, and I know a lot of people like to argue that Jazz was second in command, which I don't really know where they got that from, other than him giving out the roll call. But uh, to me, I always thought if anybody in the cartoon was second in command, it was Ironhide. And I think maybe I thought that just based on his experience, you know, like, yeah, I think, I think that's why prime would listen to him. Not because he's saying stupid shit. Like it's because he's like, he's been alive <laughs> a long fucking time and he's seen a little more than all the other Autobots. But that's, you know, that's it's like, that's, you know, He's like, who has the stupidest idea available? But we'll go with that one. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case. <laughs> All right, Ironhide, you win this week. You just barely beat out Spike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's like, let's ask Autobot Spike what he wants to do. 
No, but um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, what, what about you, Brian? Any any uh, thoughts on Ironhide? Any any uh, takes you want to uh, give the listeners on different toy modes or, or comics or anything like that? Um, always, you know, liked the character on the show. Never had the toy as a kid. Um, but as an adult now, I think it's kind of interesting that someone like Ironhide or Ratchet like got so much spotlight and characterization in the show when their toys were like so so awful. Just yeah, seems the, kind of the, like a yeah. weird strategy, I guess. But maybe the toys were so bad that they had to figure out a way to sell it, so they made them super awesome in the show. Did they did, have they ever made like I think a rectifiable type Ironhide? Like, is there a masterpiece ish looking Ironhide or anything like that? There's a third-party one by iGear that's kind of decent that a lot of people use to fill in as their masterpiece. Okay. And and there was a um, Chug one. I can't remember if it's classics or... Do you know specifically what line it was, Mike? I don't know. It's probably, yeah, like under one of those sub-lines, like Universe or whatever yeah. or something, but... I, mean, I actually was, thought that one was decent. Yeah, I mean it's not terrible, but it's probably it's not it's he's more of a like I don't know like SUV than a van, I guess. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, I mean that's good, and then and then I you know like I said I I don't know too much about it because I've never really seen any of the movies, but I know at least Ironhide did get some spotlight in the movies as well. So yeah, I I do like actually like movie Ironhide, I guess, because he's like I, I he's like more of a gun nut, I guess, and I. I I, I don't know. I think he just looks cool. So, is he a gun nut in the sense like where Rhinox is a gun nut, where he's got like a bunch of turrets and that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, like he has two giant like yeah like rotary cannons on his arms and stuff, and he's okay. he's want to use them at every opportunity. So like I don't I don't know. I think for some reason that like that just like amuses me more. Cool, cool. All right. So, not to keep everybody in suspense, but here is the much-disputed, possibly second-in-command of the Autobots. Here's Jazz. Uh, he is an Autobot. His function is Special Operations Saboteur, which doesn't sound like second-in-command, just to back up my <laughs> opinion. But, uh, you know, that's just a function. It could mean dick-all for, for most people. Uh, his first appearance is Transformers number 1. And then uh, his quote is, do it with style or don't bother doing it. So, yeah, that's, that's jazz. So. His profile does say, like, he, it says it makes his knowledge of earthen ways and the easy adaptability make him the indispensable right-hand man of his commander, Optimus Prime. Uh, so I yeah, guess, I mean, you could kind of take yeah. that. Like, as, there, there, like, there is that bit there to back that up. I don't know, but, yeah, like, I, I, I always figured it was Prowl, like, because the comics, like, he he took control and Prime didn't have a head for a while. So. Yeah, yeah. But, I don't know, I'd, I'd say, like, you know, you could you can easily fudge it that, like, Jazz is, like, just, you know, the, the guy, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, Prowl. Well, but, I mean, I, not not to overuse the word, but, you know, Jazz is, is the Earth consultant, right? He's yeah. the Earth expert. I mean, if you, if you want to know something specific about Earth, you might go to Jazz, but that doesn't mean that when Prime is out of commission that Jazz is going to start running stuff, you know? Yeah, so. like, I, I'd say, I was going to say, like, you know, Prowls and Jazz are kind of, like, you know, either joint second in commands, but when Prime's down, like, Prowl takes command and Jazz becomes second, basically. There was also that, you know, very special Transformers episode where Spike was caught getting a dime bag 
And I mean, Prowl was completely <laughs> lost. You know, I mean, <laughs> without Jazz, I don't, I don't think they would have got to the bottom of that one. <laughs> that's exactly, yeah. That's what? exactly what situations he's best at. Special. <laughs> that's what special operations means. Special doobage operations. I got visions of, uh, I got visions of uh, Falcon and Spike going to see the Headman for. Their dime bag of whatever the hell it was called, <laughs> snuff or stuff or whatever made up name the damn drug was. Like the hitman's like, you want your stuff? Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is interesting because Floro Deary's uh, design for Jazz's Cybertronian alt mode is featured as well. So he's kind of got this little land speeder hover jet thing going on. Always annoyed that they took the time to design, you know, an alternate car mode, but not at least like slightly different bot mode or maybe like a different name that wasn't so like Earth, you know, oriented yeah. like jazz. Like maybe call him something Cybertronic like Jizz or something, you know. <laughs> that's, his, that's his porn name. <laughs> I always wanted to play motorboat. I, I think actually in that um, interview I was telling you guys about that I read with Floro, like they asked him that question too, like, why, why him and, like, Wheeljack, you know, got the Cybertronian car modes, but not the uh, bot modes, like, changed at all. But unfortunately, I can't remember what really retarded answer Floro gave for that. <laughs> awesome. it, was pro- it was probably like, don't question me, I am genius. <laughs> I'm sure it was something good. Well, it, is I, you know, that I... they, it is odd that they decided to, like, throw that in there, like, on this profile. I guess it's nice to have it, but it's like you kind of wonder, like, well, where's everyone else's? Like, well, I mean, at least everyone else's that had one, right? Because you would think we we've already seen Bumblebee, right? And we did not see the little, yeah, Stingray, whatever it was, Cybertronian car mode that Bumblebee turns into. And I know, so. I know, Wheeljack's profile doesn't have the boxy van. Yeah, yeah. Too, yeah, so. so so it's kind of odd that, that Jazz was singled out, you know. As and the, Soundwave doesn't have his lamp post mode. No Cybertronian lamp post? Are you mad? Yeah, exactly. So so a lot of the Cybertronian modes are not featured, but in this particular entry, it is. Um, you know, I guess you know we should also give it up to Scatman Crothers because it's always cool to hear Hong Kong Fooey as an Autobot. You know. I, yeah, he I was can't great. say enough good things about uh, his characterization of Jazz. I mean, that was always awesome. Um, and and then it seemed like him and Blaster, at least on the cartoon, shared a lot in common. You know, they were they kind of both played the same stock da-na, 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 <laughs> da-na, music or whatever. You know, the, the <laughs> yeah happening grooving Autobot stock music, I guess. You know, I, I always thought it was interesting, like where one of Jazz's alternate transformation modes. Or I guess, I, I don't know if you call it a transformation or not, but and this is not shown in the profile, but he would be in his car mode. But then there would be like a little extra transformation where he'd have these like super big speakers that came out of the back of his his car mode that would actually play. Yeah, that, that I was really play. like his classics toy can do that. And I thought that was a really like nice touch. Like they added little speakers that come out of his doors and like can flip out. Yeah. Um, his classics mold is like one of my favorite from you know the entire Chug series. It's I mean his, his uh, G1 toy is pretty sweet. He does suffer from that you know can't reach past his chest that a lot of other yeah. G1 toys seem to have. But um, 
Yeah, the Classics Update is an amazing toy. It looks yeah, great. It is. It really is. Super posable, like a great homage in both modes. Yeah, really good. Really well done. I wanted it so badly, I went into Kohl's and found it in there. Nice. The only thing I can offer about Jazz's toys is that once he was one of the remaining Autobots that survived, I guess, the great purge of Transformers the movie, he immediately became sort of an important character to me, like more so than he was, I guess, you know, in the first two seasons of Transformers. And so I basically made kind of an awful trade where I think I I took a fully, you know, I, I wouldn't call it mint, but, you know, a, a well-kept uh, deluxe Insecticon and traded it off for this jazz that basically did not have his hood basically you know like you he was basically a convertible jazz with no doors like pretty much like so when you turned him into his car mode it was this big hunk of black plastic pretty much with wheels on the end of it so yeah it wasn't exactly a good deal but uh i i was convinced that that since jazz was a quote-unquote main character that that he was essential to be part of my transformers collection so you got hustled fool yeah, I guess so. Or maybe I hustled myself, you know, like, I don't know how that works, but yeah. Sweet. All right, so jazz. And now we're moving on uh, from jazz to Jetfire. Jetfire's allegiance is Autobot. His function is Air Guardian. And his first appearance is Transformers issue number 11. His quote is, among the mysteries of science lies the key to victory. Now, this is the Fluoro Deary design of Skyfire, so I don't know if we want to talk about the whole Jetfire versus Skyfire debacle or what have you. <laughs> Poor Harmony Gold. They just wanted their money. Well, because I guess what the original toy was uh, a Macross. Yeah. Right, so. I mean, you can, you can kind of see a couple elements of the original toy in this design, but, yeah, you can tell, like, he, you know, just kind of... I know he was told to make it completely different, but, you know, it, I think there's still enough, like, to identify. Like, when I first saw the toy, I was kind of... I wasn't like, that's not, like, Skyfire or Jetfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he definitely... He's one of the guys who, who gained a face, you know, like, for sure, so... yeah. <laughs> And an extra barrel on his gun. Yeah. I I always liked Skyfire on the show. I mean, I thought he was a cool troop transport. Um, it was nice to see a, an Autobot flyer on the team. And then, you know, his quote about science kind of ties into him pretty well on the cartoon, which is sort of unusual because I, I always tend to think of, you know, the comics being usually pretty different from the the cartoon, but I mean, he definitely started out as just being like a science dude with Starscream for the most part. Like, I mean, as far as yeah. them revealing his his early in days. The on comic, he, in the comic, he's basically like a newborn, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't really have any history. It's like they what Shockwave builds him is like some kind of ultimate Decepticon agent, and you know, and then Buster's like disassembling and reassembling him like a you know, I don't know, a Phoenix-level telepath or something, because he's got the, the creation matrix, you know, stuck in him or whatever, so. Did you ever own um, any any Jetfire or Macross stuff, Brian? Or? Uh, I owned the toy, um, the Jetfire toy as a kid, and I remember that his arms were removable without breaking them, so I would, you know, mock battle damage sometimes with them that way, 
And I don't know if I connected who he was with the show or not, really, but I don't remember ever having an issue like, you know, hey, this toy is like totally not who it's supposed to be. But maybe I just didn't realize who he was supposed to be as a kid. Oh, OK. That's interesting. I don't think I like I like how his abilities section kind of describes the toys like design, like the Macross design instead of the actual like character model. Like it says he's equipped with four independent particle beam cannons around his head. Which clearly, yeah. it's not, not yeah, which bad. clearly he's not. Yeah. Well, they, they, these were written for those. Yeah, those the toys. toys yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's. But it is interesting. It, it definitely doesn't sink, and nobody who was editing this kind of took note of that. They obviously were just copying and pasting at this point. You know, they're like, "Bam, done." You know. So, were you guys ever disappointed that like Skyfire really didn't seem to last outside of season one? Yeah, because like. You know, his I thought his voice was cool, and he was kind of like a uh, one of the bigger imposing characters, like the Autobots got for themselves early on. You know, like when Skyfire showed up, you knew things would be set right pretty quick. And uh, yeah, so like his kind of disappearance after you know a handful of episodes was kind of weird. But I guess you know it, it, I, he just didn't have that much importance anymore. Like as much importance as he had in the fiction. I don't know, it just didn't seem to carry on, I guess. Well, it seemed like it seemed like at that point in the first season, they were really big on, you know, hawking the toy. But after that point, there was no toy to hawk. So I guess there wasn't any reason in including him. But, but I mean, they still sort of focused on Prime and some of the uh-huh. other guys like Bumblebee, even though maybe you couldn't always get that toy. So, like you were saying, right. he was such a or sort of... back to Ironhide, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was yeah. pimped, like, pretty majorly. Yeah, but, yeah. like... Even when the aerial bots show up, you never see, like, you know, people running into, like, Fireflight and, you know, him taking them to South America or something in jet right. mode. So it was like uh, Skyfire served a real purpose on the show, and then, like, they just didn't have him around suddenly anymore. Yeah, I think he was, he was kind of, like, replaced by Omega Supreme, it seems like, in terms of transport, at least. Wow. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Was the surfing episode, like, before, before or after, like, Skyfire's appearance... Maybe they just thought surfing was a more fun way to get around. <laughs> I think it was yeah, in conjunction with Skyfire, like the surfing, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, because he was probably was, like on Cybertron. Yeah, he was like, on Cybertron the, at, at that time. point. Because yeah. they were riding the tidal wave caused by the planet being yeah. in their like, atmosphere or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Skyfire was a big part of Ultimate Doom. Oh, the other thing I was going to ask about... Skyfire or, or Jetfire, as we're on the Jays, is did you ever think during the cartoon? Like I, I remember, there's that one instance where I think I think it was Hound when when Devastator first shows up. Then they, he, they, he tries to create a hologram of an even more imposing Autobot, where he's like, "Ho ho ho, little one," you know, and he's like laughing at at Devastator, even though Devastator is supposed to be this massive. Gestalt. I, I always thought that that massive Autobot looked a bit like Skyfire. Do you guys remember who I was? Yeah, talking I think about? they actually like made, made that an official character in like one of the like fan club comics or something. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I forgot what they actually like named him, but like they made him like an official guy or something. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's like uh, Fortress uh, Almost Maximus or something. Yeah. Cool. 
All right, so moving on, we're now in the K's. We're at Kickback, who is a Decepticon, part of the subgroup Insecticons, and his function is espionage, and his first appearance is Transformers 17. Friend is another word for fool. That's that's Kickback for you. He, he, he guess he doesn't have any friends. He just treats them all like fools. <laughs> I always felt he got, like, the short end of the stick when it came to, like, Insecticons. Like, Bombshell controls mines, Shrapnel controls lightning, Kickback kicks stuff. I, I, I mean, I, I think I might have mentioned this earlier when we talked about Bombshell, but I, I thought the Insecticon introduction episode was, you know, pretty pretty cool. Like, I thought it was a good introduction of all these characters. They were kind of creepy and, you know, obviously, like, you know, it's that typical, you know, insects are gross, like, ew kind of vibe or what have mm-hmm. you, but then you kind of expand them to these gigantic robots and everything. I mean, as far as owning the toys, uh, I think Shrapnel was the first Insecticon I ever owned, but like Shrapnel, uh, Kickback has his his wings as a grasshopper, just as, I guess, Shrapnel has his, his pincers, and uh, eventually there was a point to, you know, the longer you owned them and played with them, the more loose those became. So much like we were talking about Hound before, how his windshield would either fall to the front or the rear of him, depending on the kind of precarious placement of it. I would say the same applies to to uh, Kickback's grasshopper wings here. That they would kind of eventually they would get very. Uh, they would have become limp wings, I guess is the best way to put it. They just would chill at the bottom and not actually stand erect. So, I like how, like, sometimes... It seems like, like when Floro Jerry g- gives these guys faces, the colorists, like, don't account for that. So, like, Kickback uh, has, like, a two-toned face because, like, the toy has a visor and a, like, like face plate. So it's kind of like they're coloring for the toy design, but Fluorodiri's design is actually more yeah, of a Yeah, it doesn't really <laughs> sync face. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I understand. I thought the Insecticons were cool because, um, like, at least at the time, it seemed like they were the first, like, subgroup of Decepticons or Autobots where they really had, like, a common theme and, like, a united color scheme. Like, you had the Seekers before them, obviously, but they were all different colors. But, the, you know, you got the Insecticons, and it's like, whoa, you know, three guys are part of a team. They're all black, yellow, and purple. They're kind of cool. I always thought it was interesting because they all, I mean, I, I guess they were to a degree, but eventually it seemed like they became incorporated into the, you know, general Decepticon army. But I always liked the idea of them as like a third faction where they weren't really working right. for the Decepticons and they really weren't working for the Autobots. And, you know, kind of like the way they sort of first presented like Zartan and the Dreadnoughts. It was just this external outside force that was clearly a problem for the good guys, but it wasn't exactly like they were buddy-buddy with the bad guys either. Yep. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting variable into an existing series. Kind of like the way we were talking about lamenting how Skyfire eventually disappeared. You know, that, that concept, I, I would kind of lament its disappearance. You know, the fact that maybe the next couple times you see the Insecticons, it's just kind of like, come on, boys, let's go fight the Autobots. And they're like, all right, let's go. Let's get a milkshake after. You know, it wasn't like there wasn't any more internal conflict or what have you, you know, it seemed to be resolved by that point because maybe Megatron, you know, I don't know, slapped around shrapnel or whatever he did off camera that, that sort of settled things. So, Next up, we've got Laserbeak, 
Laserbeak is a Decepticon, and again, he may have been one of the... He, I know for sure he was the first Decepticon I ever owned, but I don't know if Huffer uh, predates him or not in terms of my Transformers history. His function is interrogation, and his first appearance is Transformers issue number one. And as we know, Laserbeak's quote is, car, car, car. Or actually... <laughs> And what's actually written here is the only point I like in Autobots melting point. But yeah, there I mean he didn't really talk much on the cartoon, but on the comics and you know, especially all those animal based cassette tapes, whether it was Ravage or Laserbeak or Buzzsaw, they actually all did talk and of course none of us can forget Senator Ratbat. So yeah, they all kinda talked in the in the comic book. Um I, I like Laserbeak. I know I know Mike had a bunch of fan love for Buzzsaw. I, I always kind of think of Laserbeak as more legitimate just on the cartoon, and it was one of the first Transformers I ever bought, so I, I think it's just my personal bias. Um, and then I don't the fact know that what the he hell was... you're talking about. What's a Laserbeak? Was he in the show very much? <laughs> and and the fact that well, he was he was Megatron's bird. So well, I was going to say if Buzz <laughs> if if Buzzsaw had like all the fan aura in the comics, Laserbeak had it in the cartoon. I mean, Laserbeak did everything in that freaking cartoon. Yeah, Laser Laserbeak practically killed off in his prime, like yeah, by, like episode what four or something, you know. Laserbeak, you tinfoil turkey. Oh, well, I always remember when like I think it's like when in like the Combatic the first episode with the Combaticons, like Megatron like blasts Starscream and he's like Laserbeak, you know. Get rid of Starscream for me, and Laserbeak just like picks Starscream up and dumps him on an island. <laughs> but get the fuck out! <laughs> yeah. As a legitimate question, how did you actually get um, Laserbeak without Soundwave? Did he come like in a two pack of cassettes or something? Yeah, yeah. The way that cassettes usually came was because I, I never owned. Uh, Soundwave until like maybe way later, so I think I got it through a trade and didn't have Bazaar or anything like that. But uh, as far as the cassette tapes, they were always sold in two packs. So it was it was Laserbeak and Frenzy. So my uh, as far as I know, my first Transformers were Huffer and then that Frenzy Laserbeak two pack, which I thought of course was Rumble because it was blue. But you know, I didn't really you know. Reading text specs, fuck that. Like it's rumble, but you know that was my <laughs> that was my take on it. But um, you know, I'm all this text spec is incorrect. <laughs> I know the truth or whatever. But but um, um, that's pretty much how all the tapes came, where it was like a two pack. My oh. laser beak story, how I came across them, which I think I've told you two, but um, we had a a fairly large um like block when we were a kid, like the block we lived on, like the center was like huge, is basically almost like a quasi-park for all of us kids to play in. But anyways, our yard was huge. It's like almost like two lots set together, but um, our backyard was that second lot. So anyways, we were about like three blocks away from school, so that meant we got like a lot of foot traffic through our backyard with kids walking to school and stuff. And just one early morning, like as, as I was, you know, headed out the door to class, like I came across, I think I, I found like a really beat up rusty ravage first and i was like holy cow you know free transformers in my yard so then like the next couple of days following i kept like scouring my yard for transformers and um ravage and Laserbeak were the only two i found but kind of lucked into them for free so that was my only Laserbeak until uh i became an adult collector actually 
Laser beacon ravages falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. I used to have a recurring dream, actually, where, uh, like, a Walmart semi full of toys would get hit by a tornado, and, like, all these <laughs> toys would end up in my yard. So this was, like, almost like that, you know, dream fulfillment coming true. It's a totally non-lethal tornado that did not hurt any of the Walmart employees. It just transported Transformers directly <laughs> to Brian's backyard. No Walmart employees, again, were harmed during the making of this fictional dream podcast. So, yeah. Cool. I, I, was there anything else on Laserbeak? Has Laserbeak had any, like, super cool upgrades since the, the good old G1 days? Is there, like, a funny G2, like, Laserbeak that's colored, like, fuchsia or something, like, that I don't know about? He's got a Masterpiece toy now. Oh, okay, neat. Yeah, so, like, it's, it's yeah, I don't have it, but it looks great. I'll tell you, the Masterpiece cassettes are better than Masterpiece Soundwave, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know, I, like... Mostly, I think, probably because, like, the original Soundwave was a pretty decent toy, you know? He had, like, good arm articulation, good leg articulation. So it wasn't, like, you know, terrible as a, t- as a kid having the G1 version. So even Masterpiece Soundwave isn't a huge upgrade. But, like, the the amount of improvement, like, they made on the cassettes, like, Laserbeak in particular, like, the way they have them now, his whole gut, like, his whole, like, that backpack with his gun sitting up there, like, that's all part of his cassette mode. It's not like a separate accessory that you have oh, to wow. Wow. And plug Neat. in. It folds out, like, from his tape mode. So, I mean, it's just such a drastic improvement over the original cassettes that, like, by far, they're my favorite part of Masterpiece Soundwave. Now, do you do you have to buy those cassettes separately? Do they come with Masterpiece Soundwave? How does that work? Um, the original people that buy, like, the Japanese Masterpiece Soundwave, I think they only got, like, um, maybe Ravage and Rumble, and then... Uh, Laserbeak and Frenzy were released separate for like an insane price, like sixty bucks or something stupid. Okay. But but then um, with the American release at Toys R Us, like we got all the cassettes at once, and I I'm forgetting the price. Was Masterpiece Soundwave like eighty bucks in the states or something? I think it was more than that, like probably like a hundred and something. Okay. But yeah, if you waited for the American version, like it was a lot cheaper to get him and the cassettes all together rather than, you know, buying them piecemeal like the Japanese version had to do. Okay. Wow. That, no, that sounds really awesome, actually. Like, I, I always like the idea of the, like you're talking about, instead of that extra add-on accessory, you know, for his, his little rocket pack and lasers, like, that that's a part of his his actual mode. Like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So next up, we've got Long Haul. Long Haul is a Decepticon. He is another member of the subgroup we've been discussing, the Constructicons. His function is transport, which is apropos, as he is a big old dump truck. And his first appearance is Transformers issue number 10. His quote is, a battlefront is only as good as its supply line. So Long Haul, the... I guess he's the the abs and and crotch of Devastator, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, All I remember about him is the quote, I didn't join this outfit to be a dump truck. I like Long Haul. I thought it was a good good toy. Um, you know, I I thought most I like of the Constructicons him. were pretty cool, but but he was he was a pretty substantial kind of solid looking toy. I I, I don't think. The the Florodiri design, uh, you know, pretty much doesn't really change much, I think, in terms of the design. I like how if he was using the toy for reference to draw the truck mode, he didn't transform it, right? It still has its fists out and its head out. 
<laughs> like you can tell, like right. He didn't. Yeah, they didn't either flip the head down or like flip the fists in. He's peeping. Yeah. Um, I like the toy. Okay, again, another case of can't reach past your chest very well. But um, I, I always know like when I transformed into robot mode, I kept that like top piece of his truck up over his head because I thought it looked cooler that way. Like almost like he's wearing a hat or something. Right. Okay. So that was my fan mode. Kind of like pulling up like the second season Seekers nose cones to reflect different modes. Conehead. Conehead mode. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know about Long Haul's characterization. He just kind of seemed like a, you know, another member of the cannon fodder for Megatron crew. I mean. I think he was kind of complainy, like Huffer or something about. Always having to dump stuff. Mm. Always having to take a dump. All right, so here we go. Here's a big one. We are now to the M's, and we're on the leader of the Decepticon army. We are on Megatron, whose first appearance is Transformers issue number one. And his quote is, everything is fodder. Now, it's kind of odd. Yeah. Like that, I think that's like a... A pre like production quote that made it through because well I always remember piece through terror yeah 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 I was about to ask like that must have been something that that did not get past editing or what have you because that wasn't on the tech spec or or maybe I don't know like maybe maybe there were some spec cards like early ones that had that instead of instead of the piece through tyranny quote I don't know yeah I here think... here I was all ready to bitch about Transformers Beast Hunters and how Megatron, like, gave up his whole peace through tyranny thing, and now I can't, because he doesn't even say that quote here. <laughs> he also he also has that character design from, like, the... It, it's, it's still an animated design, but it looks like the design used in those comic book commercials, if you guys remember yeah, those. Yeah, it's a, it's a pre-production, unfinalized design or something. Well, because he definitely, he's got that sort of dark black helmet instead of the light silver or what have you. Mm -hmm. I think it's a cool design, too, and, like, I kind of like the uh, aesthetic of him actually, like, pulling the trigger on his gun. Like, even though it's still connected to his arm, like, he has the trigger to pull. Like, occasionally, like, Galvatron was animated that way, too, where he'd actually have a little trigger he pulled when he shot in the cartoon. But, I don't know, in that commercial, I think it's cool just the way he aims and, like, fires. Didn't didn't Megatron occasionally have like a trigger as well, or am I just misremembering that? I do remember Galvatron having it, but I don't know about him. Yeah, I can't say you're wrong, but I don't remember an instance where Megatron. I mean, did. I, I I know what you're saying. I mean, often more often times than not, it was like this arbitrary like I'm going to take a grump look, and then the the cannon would fire, you know, without any any trigger being there, but I, I, I thought I recall, like, some... Because it was, like... I'm trying to remember what it was. Like, I thought maybe it was that one where they, they fight with Dr. Arkaville or, or whatever, or where it's, like... They're fighting over that... that um What is it? It was, like, the, the, the last first season where there's that thing that's going to explode, that little... I don't know what you'd call it, but they, they stick it in, in Megatron's cannon, and then, and then him and Prime like, shoot it into space because he turns into the gun mode. I thought maybe yeah. there might have been a trigger finger on that cannon somewhere at some point where it fell off his hand and somebody else had to shoot it, like, 
you know, Spike or I don't know who, like, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just imagining it. I just don't, I don't have a clear memory of it, but that's, Megatron was a, was a pretty cool toy. I mean, that was one of the toys that I thought was a big deal to actually get as a kid, like that I didn't think I would get. Cause you know, I guess as I was describing, some of my early toys were more of the, you know, the mini bots or the mini Decepticons. So, you know, Megatron was like a big score in my book where I was like, he's a main character and he, you know, basically like, I don't know, he had all these great die cast parts and everything. Um, eventually, uh, my, my Megatron's hands or arms actually is a better way to describe it would break off. But what I, I tried to do was it, it wasn't in such a way where I couldn't sort of glue them back on and, and still retain his articulation. Cause like, I guess what would happen is the, the little kind of piece of metal would still be on. So I, I would try to glue around the piece that snapped off, if that makes any sense. So it was like, I was gluing it back in, but it wasn't like it was really restricting the articulation too much. So I know, the first one I ever owned was the G2, like green tank. Megatron, oh, okay. So, okay. But, interesting. I don't, Brian, do you own his masterpiece? No. I always thought his masterpiece looked like junk, like sort of. uh, like really terrible. Yeah, wow. like he brought okay. Superion's legs. Yeah, exactly. His legs were like really gimpy looking and skinny, and like his head was too big. And I was I, I was kind of like, how could anyone like that? I don't know. I, I, it feels like by sheer virtue of it being a masterpiece toy, it was like really popular or whatever. Right. I'm kind I agree of surprised. Kind I, of I, I don't know too much about the masterpiece toys, but I'm surprised to hear that. I don't know. We'll have to show you a picture of it. It, it. I don't know. You'd have to see it, but it just looks like I don't know. Like they tried like really hard to do like a good toy, but they couldn't make the logistics of it work right. Well, I guess I guess it must be hard to have have decent sized legs, but still turn them into a a gun, right? Because I imagine that's he still yeah. turns into a gun and everything, right? Yeah. Because he was, I always, I always thought it was funny in the original toy. It was like his, his, his junk, I guess, was this big crotch, yeah, you know, trigger, you know, and like there was, it was kind of unavoidable. I mean, there was nowhere for that to go. It was just like, <laughs> hey, what's up? I got a trigger for. It's like pull my, my trigger, yeah. Prime. Yeah, but it's know, faster. Like, I never had the G1 Megatron toy until I was an adult. I actually bought like the reissue from Ali from Bot Talks. So shout out to him if he's listening. Oh, okay. But I did get like um, Browning, which was uh, another gun toy. I think he was oh, a, okay. a, a PPK, like the, J, the smaller James Bond pistol, um, yeah. rather than the Walther P thirty eight. But like, what's interesting is like this animation model, and like you know the animation model we were talking about for the Marvel comics and stuff. Like it almost exactly matches like the Browning toy. Like the the color layout is like like dead on the black helmet things like that. So um, when I got Browning, I always thought he was a really cool toy because like, I'm like, oh, this is like the OG like Megatron, you know, like almost like in my mind it was like the Orion Pax to Optimus Prime. That's what Browning was to uh, Megatron. So he's a really maybe, cool maybe, toy. Maybe before he went into the gladiatorial pits, he was. He was a young man named Browning. <laughs> exactly. Was was Browning Master Force or? Um. Yeah, I believe so. Like he was. He, I he was like the little buddy that um 
that the, the one yeah. kid had. Or, all all I remember like, was all I remember some amusing trivia was that the awful like Malaysian dub of that show. His name was BM. <laughs> they were like, "Hi, BM." Like, I'm like <laughs> I had my mic <laughs> muted, but I was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that was supposed to be, but it, it was. I was like, really for serious? Like, like where where would you possibly come up with that? Well, like, Browning. What? I mean, it, it's yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I was like, I, I mean, uh, whatever. Huh. So, in terms of his his abilities and stuff, there is the the whole instance where you know they talk about you know the capabilities of his fusion cannon and you know how he can like connect interdimensionally with a black hole and draw on antimatter as the power source. Like, I don't think any of that was really explored in the cartoon very much. And if it was explored at all in the comics, it wasn't you know, really fully realized, I guess. Um, but, and then it is interesting here. I, I know this was something that Mike had on his Skype screen when we were doing the podcast last week, but it does say Megatron has no known weaknesses, which seem to be pretty clear, at least in the comic version. I think sometimes I, I, you know, in the, in the cartoon version, it was always like the Dinobots showed up and, and Megatron kind of pissed his pants and flew away. It it said Megatron has no known weaknesses except for Nergil. Except for Nergil, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there were in, in, invariably there were times where Megatron, uh, you know, was weak on the cartoon. Fiery Totten phone! Our secretary's been shorted out! I, I think in, in terms of the comics, like, I was always amazed by the amount of brute force that Megatron would just pull out of his ass to to sort of solve a situation, which, which you know, whatever your opinion about Megatron is, is pretty damn impressive. I mean, him watching him, you know, beat the shit out of all the Dinobots in issue eight, or, you know, I, I'm thinking of, like, the UK comics where, like, him and Galvatron would, like, team up and beat the shit out of Piranicon or whoever it was, you know, where you're just like, man, the, you know, because you're, you're supposed to think these gestalts are, you know, major players. They're he, five he straight up, yeah. you know. He just beats he, the shit out of these guys. So. He straight up takes out Predaking in one shot. Yeah, in number yeah, 25. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like all those things where you're just like, man, you know, yeah, he might have been crazy and he might have blew himself up on the space bridge, but he he went out like uh, like an awesome mofo at the end there. So definitely, I don't know. I I, I like Megatron, so I don't I don't have anything really uh, bad to say about him. You know, as far as like his his character and you know kind of where they they took him, you know, in terms of, of that. I mean, I, I guess to some point, you know, I know, I know some people might have some criticism in terms of, you know, the craziness of Galvatron infecting Megatron and all that kind of stuff. But I, I've always kind of liked both characters. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of one of those weird fans that I, I, I don't view them as separate characters. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, the same guy, you know, it'd be like somebody yeah. said, well, Peter Parker wore the alien costume. It's like, to me, like, it's like, well, he's not a different guy now. You know, he's, he's the same, you know, it's still all the same to me. So, but, um, yeah. and I, I guess I have tr- like much like with Bumblebee and like Optimus, like, I, I guess I have trouble separating Megatron as a character from like Megatron as like a marquee, like name, uh, I guess. Okay. okay. He's like, he's just there. He's like a tent pole, like and stuff. And, but I guess that, that effect is less with him than it would be with the other guys. So. I mean, I, I've even found some of the, the stories they've done with him in IDW pretty interesting, you know, like as far as, 
you know, places they went with him. Do you, I, I should, I think we talked about this a little when we talked about Regeneration 1, but, like, do you like the sort of retconned in, like, sympathetic, like, sob story for Megatron and stuff? Or I, do I, I don't know, I don't know that I ever took it as a sob story, but, but I, I mean, I, I, I think it's understandable in this day and age, you know, that they, they, you know, gave him that kind of motivation, you yeah. know, like, like to me, it, I, I think not, not to get to uh, wh- whatever her name is, that one chick who thinks the Decepticons are like the protagonists of the story or whatever, but, <laughs> but I mean, there is that element of it in, in the IDW series where you're like, Oh, well, you know, some of the things that Megatron is, is starting his his Decepticons for, you know, are relevant. You know, they're not they're not inconsequential. I mean, you know, you can argue whether he's he's evil or not. You know, I suppose, but I mean, I you know, there's definitely reasons why he did what he did. You know, in that universe, like, do I think it's a sob story? And eh, not really. I I think to me, it's more like it's just kind of his the the way he you know he he ends up proceeding you know like where it's like there there's certain things you see where it's like he's obviously like decimating worlds outside of cybertron so at that point you sort of have to question it it's like it became less about whatever his original intentions or ideals were you know became about something else because it always seemed like to me the decepticons were all about expansion you know and it's like well i guess if you're going to call it a sob story it's like the the gladiatorial sob story doesn't quite fit that yeah. that goal per se, you know? So, so I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if they're in conflict necessarily, but it seems like, it seems like it started out as one thing and, and the movement became something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. No, I like, I remember saying like, like I, I found it refreshing in like regeneration one to have a Megatron again, that was like just straight up evil, like for the sake of being evil, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I think that comes with you know being like a longtime fan of of anything. I mean, you know, there, there's plenty of people where they can point you to say like Mr. Freeze on Batman the Animated Series and say, oh, you know, what a wonderful interpretation of Mr. Freeze, which you know by all rights it is, you know. But then you know you see that same interpretation in say Batman and Robin, and it doesn't make it any better, you know. So sometimes you know I could appreciate your appreciation for Megatron going back to his roots and regeneration because, you know, even though, you know, maybe the Batman isn't somebody's favorite cartoon, you know, I, I remember having that moment of, oh, well, at least he's just, you know, Mr. Freeze is just some asshole who steals fucking jewels. And it's not this whole, you know, quote unquote sob story about, you know, oh, my wife is frozen, boo-hoo for me and all this other shit, you know, which doesn't mean the original was bad by any means, but it just means, that, you know, sometimes it can be refreshing to sort of go back to, you know, a more, you know, black and white, you know, and, and not have to, to mire yourself in so much gray area, you know. I don't know. Anything else on Megatron, guys? Like, I know Megatron's a pretty big character, so I don't mind if we if we discuss him more or less. Nope. All right. Okay, moving on. We are on Menasaur, one of the most fearsome Decepticon combiners. And, of course, it's completely wrong. This was one of the instances where I took my pen, or I took my my my, uh, my pencil, and I crossed out the subgroup, because here the subgroup says Constructicon, which is completely and utterly wrong. The editors, not only are they just copying and pasting, they're copying and pasting out to lunch, 
He's not a Constructicon. <laughs> he is a Stunticon. So I, I know for a fact this was one of the ones where I had my hard copy and I like crossed out Constructicon and I wrote in Stunticon and it probably bled over into the yellow um, border <laughs> over there or whatever. But his function, his function is a super warrior. Super. Super. Um, his first appearance is not, again, the copy yeah, of the pacing is completely it... wrong. Is not Transformers 10. Um, it should be, what, Transformers 21? Yeah, 21 or 22, I think. Okay. okay. And uh, so his quote is, leave no Autobot uncrushed. And um, here we've got Menasaur, uh, where, you know, sports cars become the size of a gigantic robot hand and legs and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, it seems so. like it seems like they always got it wrong with Menasaur's legs. Like it looks like the cars are just sort of attached to the backs of the legs or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Rather it's, than forming the legs. I agree. As much as I love the Stunicons, like they are one instance where the toy mode looks so much cooler than the animation model. And you're right where it looks like they just kind of, like, hop onto the legs. And, like, even in animation, like, the arms, like, Minnesota would have this, like, really long, like, white or silver arm. And then, like, drag strip would just, like, attach to that on the outside. And it's like, like, why do you even need that? It's just extra weight holding you down. Yeah, you know, if you're that like big, kinda, just run with it. Yeah, it's kind of, like, counter to the point of them combining, almost. Mm-hmm. I think even the instructions have the toys facing backwards, too, like on the legs. But I always switched them so their car modes faced forward because I thought that looked cooler. Okay. I, I'm I'm reminded of the fact that Motor Master, like even as a solid unit, did not have all that, that blank space around his head, you know, even though that's part of the, the Fluoro Deary design, you know, that, yeah. that the toy mode, you sort of snapped on Menasaur's face on top of Motor Master's face. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't quite, you know, it wasn't like it was a sort of free-flowing head with lots of space around it. Yeah. Again, I think that's one of the things that was lost in converting from toy mode because it kind of gives the toy mode like a huge-shouldered, like, you know, really muscular tough guy look, whereas, you know, he doesn't have really much of that. Yeah, he looks he looks more sleek in this yep. mode. Not, maybe not as imposing as you'd like a, a gestalt you know, in his combined mode to be. I know, Brian, I know you like him, but he's he's probably my least favorite Gestalt. Just because of his size or what? I don't know. He just he just kind of always, like, looked ugly to me, I guess. <laughs> like, well, let, let's give the listeners know. some perspective. Who Who's your favorite combiner? Yeah. Um, I guess Defensor. Okay. Like, out of all of them, like, probably, yeah. I don't know. For some reason, the toy looks the 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 animation model itself looks kind of gawky, and the toy looked kind of like gawky. And like, yeah, the fact that he had a mask instead of like a real head kind of like thought made me think less of him too. I guess. All right. Um, so I guess if there's nothing else about Menasaur, uh, it's kind of interesting here because the the page is bled and is split. Like I guess because there's so much to talk about with Metroplex that they, they felt like they had to have extra text space or text space. And so the bottom of Metasaur's entry bleeds into Metroplex. And at this point, and and I think for good, unless he showed up in the UK comics and I'm just not remembering, like I, I don't really remember Metroplex really being in the Marvel comic series, but he does not have a first appearance. 
by this point. His allegiance is Autobot, his function is Battle Station, and his quote is, Vigilance is the foundation upon which victories are built. I, I think it's more the fact that he just punches the crap out of uh, Megatron and Fall for Cybertron as the foundation upon the victory. <laughs> but, you know, hey, and Metroplex is pretty awesome. I mean, obviously he was... He was the toy, like, you know, along with Trypticon when, when Season 3 came out. I mean, that's kind of what I most remember about him. Um, and, and the fact that, like, that original Metroplex G1 toy, you know, I guess was the perfect size to complement all those mini Autobots. Um, you know, or, or even, I guess, you know, in some cases, the... Um, Scramble City style. The Scramble City style guys as well, yeah. And so, I mean, that was always, like, the fun part for me. Um, I remember getting it and just being kind of like, wow, this is, like, the greatest thing ever. You know, I mean, I, I I definitely liked having it. I liked the idea that you could take all his, his various cannons and make a whole robot out of it, even though it was, again, a guy with no fists. But, you know, you could mm-hmm. make that. You could, you know, you had Scamper and the little little tank guy who, who showed up in Transformers the movie or whatever in Autobot City. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed Metro. Just for your information, Metroplex did appear in one UK story, uh, Space Pirates. Okay, where he okay. like totally owned the Quintessons when they took over Autobot City, and then he yeah. like woke up and like broke through the bottom of Autobot City and like totally like squashed all of them and stuff. Yeah, I remember like the panel with his like arms and hands like just being thrust up out of the earth and like yeah that was a really good yeah yeah um i have a lot of fondness for the toy um i've kind of always been attracted to like dioramas and displays like no matter what it is like i think you know if i had the monies i'd probably be in the model trains and like making mountains and really cool displays and things like that um but metroplex was sort of like a cheap way to make a really cool looking display, you know? I mean, he's basically this really cool little fort that, like we said, you know, fits in perfectly with some of the smaller toys. Um, I know on mine, I always had the Protectabots, like that was their main base. They didn't have some, you know, three or four story building in town where the whole face like flipped up like in the stupid cartoon as their headquarters. But, uh, you know, in the, the toy form, like Metroplex was their headquarters. I always had first aid, like charging down the ramp. Blades was always sitting on the hello, helipad ready to take off. Um, I don't know, just a lot of playability and very aesthetically pleasing toy. Um, you know, lots of room to kind of set them up how you want to like, you know, uh, his uh, legs and stuff have lots of areas where they can twist and turn, and you can just make them how you want them, and he's just a very imposing, cool-looking bot. I always kind of think of Metroplex and Scorponok as, like, the compromise price point for parents or something, because I always felt like, oh, I had Metroplex and I had Scorponok, but I never had Trypticon or Fortress Maximus, and I think because that was something that was just a little too much. Like, it was like, if you're going to get a big present, you got Metroplex or Scorponok, but Fortress Maximus was kind of too much money. You know, like, that's kind of how I always thought of it as or whatever. But, um, you know, it. Um, I, guess, I guess the other thing that's worth bringing up, since we're, we're already kind of talking about the, the, the toy uh, mode for G1, and this obviously has not escaped my notice, is that uh, apparently everybody loves that new... Metroplex that just came out from Hasbro, and I know there's like tons of different versions of him, and and I've seen crazy pictures of Metroplex in the shower in people's bathrooms <laughs> and all kinds of 
kooky stuff where, you know, he's so tall, he's hanging out with babies and dogs and cats and whatever else. So um, I, I don't know. Do, do either of you guys have Metroplex? Yes. Um, on the boards, like I'm the one that started the Metroplex appreciation thread, and I took like, I don't know, 30, 40 pictures of them. Like, just getting, like, trying to capture, like, every small detail of him. Because he's, I don't know, it's a really great update, in my opinion. And uh, a lot, he came out, like, right as Soundwave seemed to be hitting. And a lot of people were like, oh, should I get Soundwave or Metroplex? And, like, by far, I would vote for Metroplex over Soundwave if he had to choose. Yeah, he's really awesome looking. Like, I, I'll get him, like, I don't have room or the money for him currently, but, like, I, he's definitely someone I will track down when either of those spaces open up. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, like, my friend had the original toy. I never owned it, but I guess I was kind of disappointed that it was so small, but, like, you know, it was still a cool toy, but I was kind of like, wow, this is, like, only the size of, like, it's only a, a little taller, maybe, than a Gestalt. yeah. Related to his smallness, I remember the box art for um, probably most of the Season 3 toys had a picture of Metroplex, like with Hot Rod zooming out yeah. of his, uh, like down his black ramp. And I had Metroplex, and I had Hot Rod, and no matter how, how hard I tried to jam Hot Rod into Metroplex, it wouldn't work. And I'd go back to the freaking box, and I'd be like, what the hell? What's what's the problem here? Why can't I get Hot Rod? Box? Exactly. I think, I think- I think I realized that with a compromise, and I think I think I would use Lightspeed when he finally came out. You know, one of the um, what what are they called? The Whatabots? Technobots. Technobots. Yeah. So I think I think I was like, oh, Lightspeed's futuristic looking enough. Like he'll work. You know, like so. My eyes. <laughs> hey man, I would I would panic like a bitch too if somebody grabbed one of my eyes and took it away. It would be from crazy. In, inside your head. Yeah, you're sitting there in bot mode, and suddenly someone steals your eyes. Like, WTF? Decepticon intruder removes my eyes. Moving on, we're going to another one of the M's. This is again an Autobot. This is Mirage, and his function is counterintelligence. Again, one of the original crew among the Ark. His first appearance is in Transformers issue number one. And then let's see if I can try this. His quote is. Who and what I am, I hide from the enemy. But, you know, something something like that is how Mirage sounded. Um, Mirage was one of those guys. He was like a stealthy stealth guy, which I guess is why he was counterintelligence on the cartoon. He was always putting the little Iceman box around himself and disappearing. So he was kind of like the uh, Kevin Bacon Invisible Man of the Autobots. Um, I had Mirage. I think Mirage was one of the along with Ironhide, like one of the early, I'd say, you know, mid-size Autobot toys that, that I owned. Um, he was a fun little toy. Um, you know, I, I think other than his wheels not really being in this fluoro Deary design very much, like you don't see his wheels in his chest or what have you. But, I mean, outside of that, I mean, it, it does kind of look pretty similar to, to how the toy looked. I guess what would happen is the wheels would sort of flip back, so th- they would actually be in the rear, I guess, over here. But, you, you know, on the Florodiri design, you, you know, it's like it's just kind of empty space, I guess. But, I mean, other than that, it seems pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, he did have arms and he did have hands and, you know, pistol and the little 
rocket launcher or what have you on his shoulder that you could snap on to. The the rocket launcher actually attached to the the wheel pretty much, like the the little um, rod that was attached to the wheel that went back. So anyway, um, I don't know. What about you guys? Like anything on on Mirage? I always thought Mirage would have been a better name for Hound because you think of Mirage as like an image that you see that's not really there. And like Hound was kind of like the hologram projectionist where Mirage just disappeared, which I guess sort of fits. You know, you get close to Mirage and you drink the water and it's really sand you're spitting out, but I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I was going to say, like, it says like his abilities, like the Electro Disruptor, it says he's able to give himself a different physical appearance, but... I don't know. He did that maybe a few times in the comic, but I don't. In the cartoon, he just like turned invisible. So right. I don't know. I, I was wondering why his quote wasn't "Sorry, Prime, the ship was full." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. I like. It's like, oh, but you know, Mirage saved the day at the end of that original pilot where he he uh, you know miraculously jumped out of the Nemesis with a parachute and effectively killed all the Decepticons except for they weren't dead. So. Good on you, Mirage. So next up, we've got Mixmaster. Now, this Decepticon is a member of the Constructicons. His function is materials fabrication. His first appearance is Transformers issue number 10. His quote is, how strong the steel, how quick the contest. Now, I always thought he had a lot more kind of personality. I mean, he might have been one note or one track, but he was always, I don't know, he was kind of like the 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 warpath of the Decepticons, like where his warpath was always going, blam, blow, blam. It's like Mixmaster seemed to be like that with all these like chemicals and acids where he was just kind of giddy over like burning somebody's face off or something like that. Yeah. He had like that brief, I think it's only in one episode, but he has that brief like speech thing where he like repeats like, like sort of like shrapnel, I guess, where he, he repeats things. Like he, because I, I remember him going like Mega Mega Megatron, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And he is a he is like his name suggests. He he is a, a cement mixer. So as far as construction vehicles go, you know, mix master. You know, I guess instead of mixing cement, I guess the idea is he's mixing all kinds of, you know, toxic, you know, kind of acid in in his you know in his rear mixer <laughs> i don't know what mixer else thingy yeah. mixer is is not a whole lot to say yeah about i guess not him, i guess what about you brian anything on mixmaster before we we jump on no not a whole lot all right all right so that's mixmaster next up we've got the leader of the stunticons luckily the copy and paste function was working for this listing he is listed as a stunicon he is the stunicon leader he is motormaster and motormaster's first appearance was in transformers issue number 22 his quote are these wheels are made for crushing so yeah he's he's mad and angry and all about smashing up cars on the road um now, am I am I remembering wrong? Is this Floro Deary design like the animated design or not? I don't. It looks sort close. Of. Yeah, I think the head is different. Like in the cartoon, like it's a lot closer. Yeah, I it just like, it looks a little off to me for some reason. I don't know if it's because of the the 
the colorist or, or because of the design. But. I think the head is like more cropped, like closer together or something. Like it's a lot like less wide. It's less wide, I guess. Okay. Now uh, I think I, I don't know that I had all the Stunticons, but I did have Motormaster. So I mean, and he was he was a pretty enjoyable toy. The only thing I would say is I was always kind of uh, chagrin that you know his cab and truck mode probably wasn't even bigger than Huffer. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, and yeah. I was, I was sort of expecting him to, you know, I guess in a lot of the cartoon episodes, they always tried to set up motor master as having this kind of rivalry with Optimus prime for being like King of the road. And I, I always kind of, whenever I had my Optimus prime next to motor master, I went, you ain't shit, bitch. You ain't shit. You know, Cause he was <laughs> like, you know, so tiny and everything. So, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I agree with you, Derek. That was a cool moment in the show, and then kind of a disappointing <laughs> realization with the toys. Um, but aside from that, I liked Motormaster's scale in that it worked with like you know the the other Scramble City sized cars and Triptychon and whatnot. So he was he was a cool figure. I liked him. I like how it says in his profile he'd even roll over a baby carriage if it were in his way. <laughs> yes, like man, that's that's some cold shit right there. I want to I want to meet the Decepticons. Like, is like is it like Wild Riders? Like, oh man, baby carriages are too much for me. I'm turning around. I'm like, out of the motor masters. Like, what are you? What are you, chicken? You know, and then he <laughs> goes across it anyway. But you know, has has. All that third-party stuff finished yet with Stunticons? Is Motormaster on his way, or, or is it still? We are that- still waiting for Motormaster to arrive, but I think it's supposed to be like released in October, so maybe November. I don't know. So it's really uh, okay. close, but just haven't come so, out yet. So probably by the time this airs, he'll he'll have been long released, and, and people will be assembling their their menasaurs um, all yep. across uh, you know the globe or what have you. Uh, I think we mentioned it before, like um, some of the, like the tactile muscle memory responses we got from transforming toys, and like how even now some toys will still bring back like a lot of memories and a lot of nostalgia when you do that, when you get one in your hands and transform them. And Motormaster is definitely one that does that for me. Like even now, I usually have like um, you know one sitting out on my desk that I can just, like, transform every once in a while just because I, like, enjoy his transformation so much. And it's such, like, a strong, connective memory back to when I was a kid. That's cool, yeah. I, 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 I think Motormaster is, is, has a relatively decent transformation as well, so I can see why there'd be that, that muscle memory and everything. Like, Looks like he's got roller skates on. That's all I have to say. Awesome. Motormaster has roller skates. All right. Moving on, uh, we are next up on Octane. Octane, at this point, had not appeared in the Transformers comic book, but I think he showed up with the other Triple Changers later, right? So, like, in, like... Yeah, in, like, 20, 29. 29? Okay. Yeah, something about okay. that. So, his allegiance is Decepticon. His function is Fueler. Um, I should hope so. He's a Fueler. And his quote is, he who has fuel has power. Well, some things never change, Octane. Like, you're on the money then, and you're on the money now. Um, Yeah, Octane is kind of like another swindle. He's kind of slimy and greedy and all that kind of stuff. It it talks about that in his profile. Um, And then again, I think we mentioned this when we were talking about the Blitzwing profile, but Octane sort of took over for Blitzwing as the the, I guess, 
guy who had betrayed the Decepticons and was on the run for from uh, Galvatron, even though they were not the same triple changer character. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a triple changer, so that's worth mentioning. He turns into a fuel tanker, and he also turns into this kind of jumbo jet as well. So um, he's got two different modes. Um, I never owned Octane, so I don't know too much about the toy or how, how well the Fluoro Deary design does or does not translate that robot mode, but I'd open it up to other fans if they have any any comments or uh, or explanations on Octane. I would say that the whatever final um, design they used for the actual animation model, like, is a lot closer to Octane's head than this bug-eyed, goofy-looking SOP <laughs> yeah, yeah, picture here in the comic. Yeah, but, um, weird bubble eyes. Yeah, from what from what I remember, I mean, of the toy. Uh, for whatever reason, I didn't have, like, he he comes with, like, this part that, like, forms the top of his uh, semi, like, tanker mode, um, and I never had that, so I always thought his robot mode was cool, his jet plane mode was decent, and then his, like, truck mode looked, you know, really stupid, because I it wasn't ever complete on any version that I owned, so that's about, you know, all I remember about him. Ain't never owned the original toy. The classics one isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> he had shoulder issues, if I remember. Like it was yeah. really hard to pose him in a way that made his like wings and shoulders look decent. I don't know. Yeah, his plane mode especially was kind of pathetic. Like his tiny, tiny wings and tiny propellers were. I don't know. And I guess I don't have any affinity to the character either. All right, yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, with some of these, there's not going to be too much to say about them. Um, so we'll move on from Octane, and we're on to Omega Supreme. Now, you'd think his quote would be always prepared, but it's not. He's an Autobot. His function is defense-based. His first appearance is Transformers issue number 19, where he beat the shit out of some fucking Decepticons. And his quote is, unyielding resolve has no conqueror. I never owned one, but my friend did, so I got to play with him a bit. And he was a really cool toy for his time. I'm just double checking because the the what we're me and Brian are looking at, there is no alternate mode shown. I think, if I recall correctly, this was an error, and then later in the letters page, they say, "Whoops, we forgot to show it," and then they showed it in the letters page. But am I correct or not? Yeah, my okay. my my version doesn't have it either. Okay, okay. So yeah, I think if, if memory serves, like there was like a letters page or something like that where they're like, dude, you forgot to show his his vehicle mode, you know, and then they're like, they went, oh, we did, whoops. You know, I guess the copy-paste button wasn't working that day or whatever, so they, they didn't put that design in there. Um, I, I never owned Omega Supreme. He did seem to be a big staple of the second and even third season of Transformers, because I guess it was handy having a rocket ship to take the Autobots from place to place. Yeah, other than that, I I mean, you know, I, I can't think of too much, you know, in terms of the, the toys. I didn't have the toy until I was like 20 or 21 or so, and uh, all I really remember is that the girlfriend at the time was not nearly as impressed with him as I was for some reason. <laughs> I didn't understand what her problem was. Maybe she's a big Constructicon fan. I don't know. But uh, I think if you had him as a kid, he his uh, playability would have been somewhat limited because 
his legs are basically shells that are held to, together. Like, by the, you see that yellow, like, shin guard looking thing? He has, like, three or four of those that, like, um, are used to basically hold the shells of his legs together in toy mode. So if you just, like, bump him a little bit and those things slide off, like, his leg shatters into, like, two or three pieces. And, <laughs> I don't know, just not a very uh, well-functioning playing toy, I guess. Man, Megatron and the rest should have, like, aimed for his legs or something then. <laughs> yeah, I guess they they didn't know. And it doesn't it doesn't say that in his weaknesses. It doesn't mention the, the yellow casing as being the weakness, so... Um, what about, like, I, weren't there, like, lots of different versions of Omega Supreme and, like, Energon or something like that? Like, if I'm, you know, like, other other it, toys and stuff? He had a, yeah, a repaint or two. Where, well, the Energon toy was, like, a giant flying battleship in a train, like, cooked end-to-end or something. Okay. So it was kind of weird. But, I don't know, it wasn't, like, super great, but it was a lot bigger, at least. Okay. It had size, at least. I, I always thought it was interesting. They they tried to set up Omega Supreme and Devastator as having a rivalry. You know, whether you abide by the whole, you know, de, you know, the Constructicons were were newly created on Earth, or whether they had this long and torrid past on on Cybertron. But the, you know, it seemed like Omega Supreme was, you know, in some ways the last of his particular model or kind, you know, on Cybertron and that kind of element, you know, where I guess, you know, him and Metroplex, I guess, cause they were really big, huge bots, you know, they, they had this kind of veil of mystery about, you know, the old days and, and, you know, maybe, you know, like the idea that in some of those flashbacks, you saw all these kind of white looking Omega Supremes where, there were all these kind of, you know, Autobot kind of war bots, you know, mm-hmm. having these big fights and everything. So, you know, I mean, that was kind of an interesting aspect of, of Transformers mythology. So I guess in that sense, it makes him kind of a, a standout character, not only for his size, but just for, you know, maybe his importance in, you know, this, this you know, more than four, you know, I don't know what it is, like six million year war or however long it's been going. So, yeah. 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 He 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 suffered from like real badass like decay in the comics though. Like where in the first issue he appeared and he took out like all those guys. And then it seems like every issue after that he got smaller and smaller until he could like actually fit in the base and like talk with everyone. <laughs> and then finally like he like he gets hit like one shotted by like underbase Starscream in like issue fifty and that was like the end of him. Yeah. I think in he in that same issue, Buzzsaw like knocks him over. Yeah, yeah, that's, funny. that's kind so. of funny. Sarcasm not appreciated. Well, that's yeah. the running joke, right? When yeah, S hits the fan for the Decepticons, Buzzsaw flies in and yep takes out the big hitters. Um, I I agree with like Derek's sentiment of like his backstory in the cartoon and like you know being related to the older Guardian robots of Cybertron and stuff. Like that's a really cool backstory. And I think Omega Supreme is a character that is basically ripe for a new classics imagined version. And, you know, with Metroplex getting released, you kind of have a glimmer of hope that, you know, a toy maybe half his size could be made by Hasbro and produced and, you know, end up being really awesome. Would, would that you, would be cool. Would you guys still hope for, like, the whole train tracks thing for the little tank? Or, or would you, you, would you want to switch it up a little bit? Or, uh, like, how would you feel about that like his alt mode Mm, i guess more important to me would be that they nail his uh bot mode right and like his rocket ship base 
correctly. Like, okay. if they kind of cheesed it out with as far as having a track and a little tank and whatever, I could probably handle that as long as the, the other two are handled decently. Okay. What about, right. like, the Energon version? Did you, either of you guys have that one? I, yeah, I had. I have it. I think I still own it. I don't think I got rid of him. Yeah. He looks not terrible. He looks cool, and, like, he, it's cool that he's a headmaster, but I never ended up, like, opening him from the box. Basically, pr- yeah. probably because I didn't have enough room to display him at the time. And he's not terrible. Like, like he, I wish he had some kind of base mode, maybe, but, like, his two vehicle modes are cool, and his robot mode's big and poseable, and he's got, like, yeah, like a headmaster, like, minicon or whatever that plugs in. But, you know... But I kept him, so I must have like figured, you know, I I liked him when I purged a lot of stuff. So, oh, either that or, or the prices to ship it today would be astronomical. Yeah, probably. Cool. All right. So that's Omega Supreme, and now continuing on with the O's, we are now on to Onslaught. And no, this isn't the fruity '90s Marvel comic villain who is the combination of Professor X and Magneto. No, we're talking about the Decepticon Combaticon Commander, whose first appearance was in Transformers issue number 24, and his quote is, "The mind is the greatest weapon." So he's he's very much a a tactical military leader um, who is you know in charge of the Combaticons. Um, I again, I think you know. I know you know. Mike had said like his favorite is is Defensor. I I would say mine is probably Bruticus. Like I do, I do like all the Combaticons and all that kind of stuff. So seeing Onslaught, it's kind of cool. Uh, I'd say the Fluoro Deary design doesn't exactly reflect you know how the toy looked per se, but you know that's not necessarily a a bad thing or whatever. Much much like Hotspot, like the amount of wheels he has and like <laughs> or the placement they are in robot mode does not like correspond to like his vehicle mode, but I have a question for you, Derek. Yes. I know you are a big fan of season three of Transformers. Yes. Um and unfortunately like Bruticus in season three for whatever reason, the Combaticons always appeared as Bruticus, and they always appeared as morons, like Bruticus was a complete dolt. Yeah, So, yeah, I, yeah. like, loving the character so much, or the, you know, Bruticus, I mean, did that kind of, you know, rub you a little bit wrong, that he was such a doofus? I, I think I just took it as, like, the the unfortunate outcome of of the fact that his toy wasn't the newest toy on the block anymore. Like, it kind of reminds me of, of, like, 90s Syndrome or, you know, in comics where, you know, somebody who used to be awesome, like, they decide, oh, well, how are we going to make the new guy awesome? Well, we're going to take this other guy down a peg. So it seems like, yeah, they, you know, maybe, you know, Bruticus and Onslaught was taken down a peg. I mean, even in some cases, like the animation mode, like you're saying, it's like Bruticus would show up and he'd be like the same size. This is like all the regular sized Decepticons. Like he wasn't even like, gestalt sized. You know, he's well, just sadly, kind of like, I think there's even, I think, um, and Carnage and C Minor, isn't there a shot of, like, uh, Onslaught standing next to Bruticus or something? Yeah, like, yeah, there's something like, yeah, goofy, something like goofy that. Goofy like that, where you're just like, <laughs> what, what is going on here, you know, exactly? But, you know, um, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of think of it like, you know, it's like, I, it's kind of the way I feel about poor Killer Croc, you know, like, when Killer Croc first came on the scene in Batman, it was like, I'm King Croc, and the Joker was, like, shitting his pants, and, you know, like, it was like, he was, like, really, really impressive, and everybody was, like, 
cowering in terror of Killer Croc. And then all the subsequent appearances, whether it was, you know, in the comics or Batman the Animated Series, it was more like, hey, how'd you beat up Batman? I threw a rock at him, you know, and it was just like, oh, (laughs) well, now you're a complete and utter moron, you know, and and Bane kicked your ass and, you know, just countless sort of humiliations or what have you. So, I mean, I I guess that doesn't speak well of Bruticus on season three, but that's the best comparison I could think of is that, you know, he, he was cool. But unfortunately, he he had so many subsequent humiliating moments that <laughs> um, you know obviously it, it didn't it didn't showcase him very well. I mean, I, I think the person to showcase in season three was Predaking. You know, I think that was the person they. I mean, not that Predaking like had a good showing as far as like you know it's like Skylink's probably you know pooped all over him with mech bird poop or whatever Skylink's did, but I mean at least Predaking was showcased as being this huge. Gestalt and and was always the sort of go to combiner in season three. Yeah, the the Combaticons had a really strong start um, in season two as well because I mean when they came about they were like a you know cohesive military team and they got crap done you know I mean they were so effective against the the Decepticons and Megatron and even then once they got um oh what's the word I'm thinking of. Asylumed or whatever. What do you do when you send someone off? Uh, exiled. Yeah, exiled. Even when they're like exiled into space and like Starscream was moping around and being a wuss, like it's the Combaticons that you know figured out how to fly that asteroid to Cybertron, and it's the Combaticons that like totally kicked the crap out of like Shockwave and like you know blew over the the Cybertronian defenses you know like Shockwave was left in charge of Cybertron and he's the sentry you know basically um, in charge of the defense of this entire planet and the Kabatacons show up and like totally like kick the crap out of everyone you know it's only because Starscream (laughs) built in that stupid third button on his back to shoot that they got kind of pwned but I mean (laughs) up to that point you know, they were, like, super cohesive, super effective, like, military strategists. It was, they had a really excellent debut. Yeah. Kind of like the, I, the, the Insecticons, like, it's kind of disappointing that, that that element of a third faction that creates conflict, not only for the Autobots, but the Decepticons. It's like, th- those seem to be the most interesting times for, for these sub-factions, as opposed to when they sort of become part of the generic crew of Decepticons. I mean, I, I think I think if there was any shining moment for the Combaticons after season two, it was probably in the Headmasters, where they, like, you know, build that engine on the back of Cybertron to rocket it towards Earth or whatever, you know? Where they're like, way to go, Galvatron, I built an engine! Good job, Onslaught! You know, and that was basically it, you know, so... I, I like Onslaught. He's probably, like, my favorite, like, Gestalt team leader. And like Brian said, like, when they're portrayed as, like, competent guys, they're really cool. But eventually they suffer, like I said, like, badass decay, it seems like, eventually. Yeah, it seems invariably there's always a, a bigger fish on the block or a newer toy or, or what have you that, you know, a more a more hipper 90s character that's ready to, to supplant, um, you know, the previous... Uh, world title of badass in in you know the the World Wrestling Federation or what have you. So my only other question is, how come his quote isn't "Behold my mighty hand"? <laughs> Sweet. 
All right. So I, I don't know if we're going to spend a lot of time on this or we're just going to gloss over it because everybody knows who he is. But this is Optimus Prime. This is the Autobot leader. His first appearance, of course, is in Transformers issue number one. And the copy paste machine is working stupendously because his quote is freedom is the right of all sentient beings, which is the correct quote. I don't know, man. It's it's Optimus Prime. I mean, he's the John Wayne of of the Autobots. He gets two count them two pages of of text and pictures. Like he was so important, they felt like they needed to do a front profile and a <laughs> rear profile. You got so, the I mean, full frontal here yeah. and the ass shot. You know, yeah. So <laughs> so if you if you always wanted to know what Optimus Prime should look like from the rear, but your action figure toy did not look like, you would you would totally know. Um, as far as the toys go, uh, I would always lose the damn fists. Um, and my, my gun, yeah. my gun broke after a while. Like what, what happened was that, that front of that gun, like it would break off. So since I lost like the right fist, I would take the broken half of the gun and give him like prime, like a shockwave gun hand or what have you. So maybe he was affected by those. IDW guys that replace people's limbs or something in my <laughs> toy universe or something, but yeah, I, I had the the G two one, but like one of his fists would like never stay on. Like one fit in really snugly, and the other one would just not like stay in at all. And like I remember, I had to put the gun in his hand and then plug like kind of use the gun to like hold his fist in, like by like plugging like pressing it against his forearm. My Optimus Prime toy story would be that I think he's the only toy Transformer, at least, that seriously injured me. Um, like, on his trailer, like, the way it hinges open, like, um, he has almost, like, a foot-long steel rod that runs down the sides of his trailer so it can flip open like that. And uh, I don't know if it's on, if it got corrected, like, with later, you know, changes in the mold or whatever, but at least one of the mold had only, like, this really small like maybe quarter inch tab of plastic that prevented that um, rod from sliding out. And for whatever reason on mine, like the back of that got broke off. So I don't remember why I was doing this, but I remember being in my room as a kid and I had like his trailer up above my head and I was like looking up into it, like almost like I was looking into a telescope or something stupid and I was shaking it and that rod came out and like it totally like went in my eye scratch the back of my retina <laughs> and like i remember <laughs> i have pictures of this of me like wearing this giant patch for like two or three weeks <laughs> as a little you, kid. you're you're like nick fury for a couple of weeks no <laughs> wow, that, like, that sounds like severe eye injuries are the right of all yeah wow a booby trap that actually catches boobies. No, I don't. I don't have any injury stories related to Optimus Prime other than injuries I inflicted upon him. Uh, so yeah, wow. I know, Derek. I, I've always thought that like Floro Derry like copied like the original like sort of line art or character model for like the RX seventy eight yeah. Gundam when he like it's did this. It's interesting that you bring that up because. Me being, uh, I guess, an American and being uh, probably a Transformers fan first, you know, before I was a Gundam fan, I always found it interesting because, you know, some of my early exposure to Gundam, which 
almost like just bounced off me because it was kind of like, what? This isn't Japanese. I can't understand it. Like it didn't really hold my interest when, you know, one of my Japanese buddies would show me episodes of it because I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. So, you know, and this was before it was subtitled or anything like that, you know, but I always remember thinking it was funny, you know, when we would talk about Transformers and he would always say, you know, oh, you mean, you know, you know, basically when it came to Optimus Prime, he'd be like, oh, that thing that ripped off Gundam, you know, like that that was kind of his attitude about it, you know, because he was a, you know, he was a Japanese guy. He grew up, you know, in America, but he was a, probably a Gundam fan before he even knew what Transformers was, you know. So so to him, it was just like, oh, this is blatantly like a ripoff of, of you know, kind of like what you're saying here. Like even the way he sort of posed and the way he looks, you know, it, it looks very yeah, much it's like, like the, that. The, the rifles in the same hand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The eyes yeah. look really like, yeah. It just looks like that was, if anything, it was just a huge influence, if not just a flat-out kind of knockoff, you know, of, of you know, kind of like a, a Pat Lee, Rob Liefeld kind of, you know, homage swap or whatever of, of the, the the art. Yeah, definitely. I, like, I, I guess I said with, like, Megatron and, Bumblebee, like, he's just been kind of a tentpole to me, like, he's, like, always there, but, like, you know, I guess I don't really, like, you know, when he does cool stuff, I'm like, yeah, like, good, and when he dies, I'm like, okay, he's dead again, and stuff, and it's not like, I don't know, I don't have much connection to him as a character. I I, I just remember kind of lamenting, you know, as far as people always yelling about how bad a leader Rodimus Prime is, you know, I would always point to the moments where Optimus Prime could have definitively ended the war and defeated the Decepticons if he only just bothered to, like, stay at that lava pit for, like, five minutes more or, like, stake out <laughs> stake out that explosion or that cave-in or, or, you know, whatever it was that supposedly ultimately did end the Decepticons. If he would have just, you know, kicked it there for, like, five minutes, pitched up a tent <laughs> and, like, had a cup of oil, you know, and just waited for them to crawl out of there, and then he could just do a double blast again where he's like, I shall rise <laughs> You know, and then fucking war over, everybody happy. But, you know, that, that of course, never happened because, you know, they wanted the franchise to continue. So maybe it's not Optimus' fault, but you know what? If everybody's going to yell at Rodimus Prime, I can I can pin some of the blame for that on Optimus. Um, as far as the comics goes, wow, he was like, you know, whiny Mr. Captain America in a lot of those comics issues. Yeah. And he, he, he was very hand-wringy, you know, very uh, Prince of Denmark, like to be or not to be, can't make up his mind, you know, very kind of, you know, existential and, and not very definitive. And I think, especially if you, if you sort of grew up with a cartoon where he was very, you know, he, he wasn't much of a, a three-dimensional character, but he was definitely that take charge John Wayne type of guy where when he said roll out, everybody rolled out at least. I mean, he, he might have not pitched up that tent and, and waited out the Decepticons, but usually in the middle of it, if he said something, he, he did it. And, you know, if he was going to do something, he, he went through with it. So, you know, kind of. I don't know, you know, just just the countless times in the comic book where, you know, you know, there's the famous, you know, uh, you know, killed himself over a floppy disk game moment in Transformers <laughs> 24, you know, which I guess they, they really wanted to tie into the movie, but it was totally different. You know, it's like, oh, you, you killed, you know, civilian game sprites, so now I have to blow myself up. You know, like, a lot of people thought there might have been a more sane and, and rational way to 
to deal with whatever guilt he felt about killing game sprites, but that was not to be, you know, the case. Um, you know, I, I think later on, I, I got excited when he became Power Master Optimus Prime. You know, I, I, I was excited about the comic book. I think it was like issue 42, and I went out and bought the toy, and to me, his, his robot mode in that toy, I thought was a, a more cartoon accurate than, than I had previously seen to that point. You know, like, I, I, I always kind of got excited the more the toys reflected maybe that, that Floro Deary original design, and I thought the Power Master, you know, main mode, you know, the, of the cab looked a, a lot more like the the animated design. So I remember being excited about that. Um, but, you know, as far as his, his character as Power Master Optimus Prime in those later issues, you know, again, you know, it turned very hand-wringy where he, you know, oh, do, do I kill this fused version of of Ratchet and Megatron, you know, and, and, and all this kind of uncertainty that I guess, you know, you, you could sort of point the finger about, you know? Rather. I think him and Leader One were the first Transformers I bought, or that I got for like a birthday present. Because Leader One's a Transformer. Well, eventually he was, so that kind of makes sense. Anyways, yeah, first GoBot <laughs> Transformer I got. And um, I remember when I got Power Master Optimus Prime, like, I didn't... I never, for one, like, read the instructions on how to transform toys. Like, my big thing as a kid was always being able to figure out how to transform it without the instructions. And just, like, impressing the hell out of my dad or whatever. But so anyways, I didn't pay attention to the Power Master gimmick, and I was just trying to, like, transform him so hard, like, you know, like the G1 transformed with his legs flipping down, that I actually broke the tab that controlled his Power Master gimmick, and my sister was there, and she's like, I'm going to go tell Dad you broke it, and I was, like, really scared I was going to get in trouble or whatever. But, um, yeah, I guess after that, not really a whole lot of, uh, whole lot to say about him. Um, the most recent Masterpiece version of him like in my mind is definitely the the definitive version just because it looks like so much like his animation model and like you know especially standing next to some of the more recent um masterpiece toys like Prowl and whatnot that have come out like it just you know it looks like G1 Optimus Prime like in cartoon mode but right on your toy shelf so I guess that's the definitive version for me. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I definitely want to pick that up eventually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Supposedly right. they're doing a reissue, which is good, because uh, the price on the original is kind of skyrocketed after release. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it seems like it seems like they certainly re-released that original Generation 1 mold so many times, whether it was a, you know, a Pepsi truck or what have you, you know, so... I mean, I guess that wouldn't surprise me that, uh, you know, Prime has long legs as a, you know, as a piece of plastic merchandise. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah okay, now we're on to Outback, uh, who at this point had not yet appeared in the Marvel comics. His allegiance is Autobot. He is a gunner and, uh, of course, not a stereotype in the least. He's like, rules of details on the road of life. So, like, yeah, he is, I guess he's the Russell Crowe of the Autobots or something, but he, he uses bronze toy mold. Um, but I never owned the toy, so I'm trying to remember, did he have a faceplate outback, or did he have a, a mouth like he does in this Floro Deary design? I don't know. I think he had an actual face. Yeah, yeah okay. I think that's pretty close, actually, okay. to the artwork. Interesting. Okay. Because I remember, you know, Braun had the little, you know, faceplate mask or whatever that covered his mouth or, or yeah. whatever you want to say. 
But his um, battle helmet. Yeah, I, I I just remember Outback, you know, teaming up with Blaster on uh, what was it, Carnage and C Minor, or one of those episodes. Like, uh, I I don't remember what it was. It was some season three episode. So yeah, they were like hunting for Decepticons one episode, and he's like. I'll just use this Decept... Well, he had an Australian accent, which I suck at accents, but he was like, I'll just use this Decepticon scanner to figure out who it is. And, like, Dirge was hiding in plane mode next to, like, all these jet planes or something, and he took off scared. And oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blaster's like, we don't even have one of those. Shh, they don't know that. <laughs> yeah. And then a toy. They don't know that. Did you, did you own him, Brian, or...? The toy? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I had him as a kid, but I have him now. I was wondering, like, if his gun could actually be held like that, like, as it shows in the art, like, or does it, is it just connected to his roof? Um, I know, I think it connects to his roof legitimately. I don't know if he could hold it in his hand. There was, I remember Braun had, like, a little hole in his hand, but it wasn't facing upright, it was facing from left to right, so maybe you could put in the gun sideways? I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um... I don't know. I, I have a feeling this is going to be one of those characters we don't have a lot to say about. But if I'm wrong, feel free to speak up on Outback's behalf. Crikey, are you wrong? Okay. <laughs> Aside from the Australian accent, the only other thing I recall about him is being a corpse in Spotlight Cup. But that's about it. So, stereotypical corpse who is a knockoff of Braun. That kind of sums up Outback, I guess. I've Googled so. images, and yes, his faceplate is almost dead on to uh, the... Florodiri art, and oh, okay. um, I don't know definitively if this proves anything one way or the other, but I see lots of pictures again with that Megatron-esque blaster connected in car mode, but not a single picture of him holding it in bot mode. Okay. So I kind of yeah. think it's possibly that impossible for him to hold it. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Moving on, we're on Perceptor. He is an allegiance. He, his allegiance is with the Autobots. His function is a scientist. His first appearance as part of the Blaster crew was in Transformers issue number 17. His quote is, One's ultimate truth lies in one's molecular structure, or whatever. So, um, you know, doing my poor imitations as I read the quotes. Um, again, kind of like, who was the character before? Was it one of the Constructicons? It's like his, his, his character design does not match the way they colored his face, at least here, where it looks oh, like... Oh, yeah, kickback. Yeah, like kickback. Yeah. They, you know, he's, he, it looks like they colored for the toy's faceplate, but the character model actually, you know, did not have a faceplate. So it, it's kind of like he has this funny uh, war paint on his, his face or something. Um, but yeah, Perceptor turns into a microscope. Um, I guess most times on the cartoon, it was a rather large microscope. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I can't think of, like, I don't know why, like, all I'm getting is flashbacks to when uh, Perceptor turned into that Kabuki robot or whatever it was in season three. <laughs> like, I don't know why that's coming to my mind right now, but that's what is coming to my mind. So it was a cool toy. Um I mean, yeah, really, really good toy. I, I, am kind of sad because it was like one of those toys that I bought and then it, I must have lost it or something because I remember it just was one of those things where it was cool and it disappeared and I never knew what happened to it. So I don't know, you know, maybe it ended up in your backyard, Brian. Hmm. <laughs> Didn't find it if it did, unfortunately. <laughs> 
or maybe with my, you know, one eye being blinded by Optimus Prime, I just couldn't see it. <laughs> see it. it. It was totally just, you know, five feet to my left, but I could only right. see off to the right, so I, right. I passed it up, unfortunately. Should, should we discuss how Perceptor became developed into an expert sniper in the IDW series? Seems like, uh, what do you call Like It's like, he's got a sight, so of course that means he can see far. So that means he can shoot far. You think you think they were having like a salad lunch date with Jeff Loeb, and then that's when they came up with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Nice. That seems like a real Jeff Loeb idea. But, I don't know. I mean, they've kind of reconciled the two portrayals now. So, like, he's scientist and he's a sniper. So it's like, okay, well, that's good then. It's like, he's like, I can only be one or the other, you know? It's uh, I can only shoot things or be a scientist. You can't have both. Well, I think I think much like, um, I guess, Jazz or Blaster or whatever, being sort of carryovers from, from season one and two and lasting into season three, I always thought that made Perceptor more of a sort of important, quote-unquote, main Autobot character to me than, you know, I, I, you know than, than other, you know, Autobots who, who weren't, yeah, I was kind of always Three like, points. what's 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 so special about Perceptor that he gets to be like Cobnob with the movie cast and whatever, you know? Uh, I guess you know because Hoist looks dumpy, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, you can't have that fatty on thick. screen. You'll drive away the chicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Perceptor's Perceptor's scope is big and huge, and, <laughs> and he looks uh, he looks fit, and he snipes shit like uh, Call of Duty. So he's all smart, he's all good. handsome. He's all good he's with the everything. cool kids from from season three, you know. He's all cool with them. Besides, I think I think like Rodimus and Ultra Magnus needed somebody to be like, you know, I don't know, somebody who was the Donatello who would tell them some scientific stuff every once in a while, you know, and silently judge them. Yeah, and silently judge them when when, when needed, you know. Me not stupid, Grimlock smartest Dinobot of all. Unfortunately, that's probably true. I just wish all the Dinobots had more sophisticated brains. As our absent fanhole Tony would tell you, Perceptor's classic toy can bring you, like, you know, a heart, give, give you a heart attack trying to transform because of the stupid arms, like, being really fidgety and, I don't know, it's, like, got really terrible engineering, I guess. <laughs> I've Maybe never transformed him just because of the horror stories, basically. Yeah, he's, oh. he's pretty awful. Maybe maybe it was like, like a sneaky way to get get kids into science, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. It's like you gotta like angle. It's one of those things where you there's no flat plane to set something against. You have to angle like his like torso, I guess, like in a yeah. certain angle. So it's like I don't know. It's it, it's frustrating. Well, like I said, I, I don't know too much about it because I think mine disappeared in Brian's backyard a long time ago. So. I don't think I got a chance to transform it all that much before it disappeared from my life forever. So, so. Oh, yeah. Damn right. tornadoes. Yeah, I know. Toy we'll tornadoes. Um, so I guess we're going to move on, and the next guy up is Pipes. Pipes. Um, this, again, is something that since I'm not, you know, I don't, I, my memory banks are not what they used to be. I don't remember if he did eventually show up in the Marvel comic or not, maybe Thunderwing, Mike here knows, but um, his allegiance is Autobot. His function is warrior. His quote is, one being's junk is another's art. So it sounds like he is a Andy Warhol supporter, um, Pipes is. Um, I, I 
had pipes, I guess maybe because I liked Huffer and I thought, you know, whatever, that maybe pipes would be cool too. I always kind of saw pipes as sort of a leader of the, the second wave of mini bots, I guess, because of the way he was portrayed in Five Faces of Darkness. He was at the arc. He was telling all the other guys to roll out. Um, so I, I kind of thought of him as some kind of de facto leader on Earth at some point in time. But um, that's that's kind of all I got on pipes. He's got seat boobs. <laughs> he has seat boobs. And the Florodiri design gives him arms, whereas by the toy, he has none. He just has those pipes for arms. So, yeah. Yeah, his design here looks kind of cool. Like, he has two blasters. Yeah, he's, like, beefy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he only showed up maybe, like, in one UK story, like, in a black-and-white UK story. And, yeah, he had a couple appearances on the cartoon. And he, he was a, he was a, I don't know, I'm not going to spoil anything, because I don't know if Brian's read this far yet in More Than Meets the Eye, but he had a very gripping scene in, towards the latter half of More Than Meets the Eye. Yes, he did. When I used to write a lot of slash fiction... I used pipes a lot, you know. You could make up cool <laughs> titles like laying pipes, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Smoking pipes. Me, you're, pipes. You, you, you often write a lot of slash fiction. Is that is that a pastime of yours that we don't we don't know about? Yeah. Awesome. awesome. I don't I don't mention it a whole lot, but that's fine because it's a good transition into the next entry, which is Power Glide. Eh? Eh? <laughs> I get it. Slash fiction, power uh, you're, you're good. You're good. I'm good. I'm good. All right. So, yeah, if you don't know you what I'm talking about. Space plane, his name would be Astroglide. <laughs> <laughs> power Glide is an Autobot warrior. His first appearance is in Transformers issue number 16. His quote is, to stop me, you have to catch me first. And yeah, Power Glide, uh, you know, I guess was in love with a human girl. So that was why I was commenting about slash fiction. Uh, Power Glide also, uh, conveniently, is one of the only other Autobot flyers at that point besides, I guess, Jetfire Skyfire, which is maybe another reason why Skyfire went the way of the Dodo Bird, because they had this other flyer, you know, that they needed to hawk a toy for in terms of Power Glide. Hmm. I'll say even as a kid, I knew that episode with Power Glide and that stupid frickin' episode with Sea Spray where he turns into the gay-ass flipper boy and falls in love and <laughs> has the robot feet. Like, even as a kid, I knew those episodes were both bullshit, so <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of love for Power Glide. I don't, for some, I know it's not the same guy voicing them, but for some reason, whenever I think of Power Glide, I think of Shipwreck from G.I. Joe. Like, they had a similar sounding, like, I thought cadence, they were the same voice actor, to be honest. No, I guess it, it, it I, I think I looked it up, like, a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't the same guy, but I was like, yeah, for, I guess they just talk kind of similarly. Yeah. So, yeah. And Power Glide does not have a parakeet. Nope. No, no he does not. All right. The parakeet got sucked into his engines. All right. Power glide. Moving on. Now we are on to one of the massive, awesome, stupendous combiners of Season 3 of Transformers. Predaking. Predaking is the uh, combined mode of the Predacons. He's a Decepticon warrior, and his first appearance is Transformers issue number 25, which is probably one of my favorite or the favorite, if you look at my top ten Transformers comics on 
History of Comics on Film, plug, plug. Um, yeah, that is one of my favorite issues of Transformers. Um, basically because Megatron kicks the shit out of Predaking. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's one of these examples of an old school guy kicking the shit out of the, the new badass school guy, which doesn't always seem to be the case in, in most comics. Usually it's the new guy who comes in to make a name for himself by beating the hell out of the old school established guy. But his quote is, destroy first, ask questions later. So I know we, we sort of talked about a couple of the the Predacons here already, but um, if there's anything else that we want to toss in about Predaking here, um, I guess now's the time. I think I think he gets like a, a like badass rep from fans, even though his actual like fictional appearances don't really like hold up to that. But he just looks cool, so you know he's got wings and he's got guns on his shoulders, and uh, you know even the feet look awesome. Like you know he just look he's just a nice looking like scary looking like Decepticon guy. Exactly. And if you had the toy as a kid, I mean he's the first um Scramble City esque bot. I mean his his um limbs aren't really that interchangeable, but um he's really the first gestalt like that where all the arms and the main body were like deluxe sized toys, you know? So he was like a pretty impressive and imposing figure even in toy form. Interestingly enough, though, it does note here on the the entry, and I assume the tech spec, that Predaking has no known weaknesses. And my my thinking is, well, Skylinks and Megatron's fusion cannon take issue with that. But you know, hmm. hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I like like even like the TF Wiki entry for him, like kind of like notes like all the way down in like the Dreamwave comics section where he fought like Bruticus in the Dreamwave comics and like beat down Bruticus, and it's kind of like. And Predaking beat down Bruticus. This was the first time he actually won a fight. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I guess that you know you gotta gotta call out the truth when when you see it. So and they said, and it was against another Decepticon. <laughs> I always thought in animated form, like they always screwed up his face, like it never looked right to me. Um, yeah, like they couldn't decide where his eyes were. Yeah, or something. And in the. Uh, what is it, Zone, where they bring back all the Destron generals or whatever? Yeah, like, yeah. It's almost make the, they make his eyes like those ridges that are vertical on his face, you know, that go up and over his helmet. Like, it almost looks like his eyes are up there when he's on that one. Yeah, I, they just kind of solid block colored it in this picture. But, like, yeah. even then, you can tell he has, like, a visor, you know. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was weird that in that zone, like, they gave, like, a lot of those Gestalt guys capes and stuff, or what have you. Yeah. Like, all this kind of regal paraphernalia, or what have you. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought that was kind of funny. Especially because, you know, the way they're generally portrayed, at least in the cartoons, for the most part. You know, maybe not so much the comics, but, you know, maybe sometimes in the comics is that, you know, when, when you combine, you're usually effectively pretty stupid. I mean... You know, it's not like Devastator. I mean, aside from maybe like Computron or somebody, you know, it didn't seem like they were very bright boys once they all merged or what have you. Right. So I guess this is the big one for for Mr. Michael here. We are now on Prowl. Prowl is the Autobot military strategist and analyst. His first appearance is Transformers issue number one, and his quote is, Logic is the ultimate weapon. So, of course, him and Mr. Spock would be chilling, hanging out together, kicking back, and beers, what have you. 
Um, they're yeah. obviously on the same page there. Um, I guess like like we often quite mention, you know, whether it's uh, you know Tony Jackson who is conspicuously absent from this podcast, or Mike or myself, um, you know, we would all kind of mention how he is kind of analogous to guys like Cyclops. And I guess in some cases, since they all share the same voice actor in Michael Bell, he's also analogous to Duke from G.I. Joe. So there's there's a lot of, uh, I guess, his voice breeds a certain level of familiarity in, in leader-type characters, and so there's also that going for Prowl. I've got the plan, if all of you've got the cast-iron manifolds for it. We have! In case, you know, someone is just listening and not visually looking along, you know, Prowl turns into the most souped-up police car you've ever seen. Datsun. Mm-hmm. Prowl's, like, responsible for my love of the Nissan Z. Um, (laughs) I I will say, like, I really did like his personality and stuff in G1. He always seemed, like, you know, very cool cucumber, um, patient, collected, calm, you know, always had the, the game plan when, you know, some serious crap was going down. But I think probably flying in the face of Mike's opinion on the matter, like, I think in More Than Meets the Eye, like, they almost made him into too much of a dick. Like, I, I sort of don't like his character in the comic, which I'm not sure if that's a very popular opinion to have or not. No. Like, or do you mean robots in disguise? Or the one where he's still on Cybertron? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, even in More Than Meets the Eye, like, it's insinuated that he's behind, like... Yeah, the, he's, he's a, yeah, he's a complete shady... Yeah, fuck, he's, yeah. he's yeah. talking about, like, the flashback and stuff, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's either, like, you do things his way or he'll blow up your ship, or basically. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I kind of, like, I, like, I like that until it seems like sort of with Cyclops, like until it goes too far and they like push him over the line. But I don't know. Pro- I guess I'm more willing to accept it with Prowl because he just, I don't know. It, uh, Furman always like made him sort of a prick. So I, I just felt like he'd be more want to do those things pretty much. It's, it's easier for me because Prowl doesn't compare himself to Iran and North Korea. So, <laughs> I'm more on board with Prowl than I am with Cyclops sometimes, um, or, or or the writing heretofore. As far as, uh, you know, we were having that discussion about Bruticus and how, you know, Bruticus's, I guess, fan aura or what have you declined when other characters showed up. I, I think in terms of, and did that upset me, and I, I said it kind of didn't phase me because I accepted it, but I, I think the moment that I always kind of uh, wince at or, or kind of go, aw, as Justin might say, or, or what have you, is that scene towards the end of the Marvel Comics run where Grimlock basically just throws Prowl out the fucking window. And uh, I, I was always <laughs> yeah. kind of like, man, that's that's not cool. You know, like he just, you know, it, it's basically tantamount to the, you know, you're a dick in X-Men scene. Yeah, it's just like a big, proud. it's a big giant dildo up, you know, people who are fans of those, <laughs> those characters' asses or whatever, so, yeah. you know. Mike, yeah, are you interested in all in getting the Masterpiece toy? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna eventually get it. I mean, I already think the Classics one is pretty, like, good, so it's like, I don't need, like, a, like, a new version of that, but uh, he's definitely on the... Uh, a gonna get eventually list. Like, I think I, I'm more concerned with getting like G2 Sideswipe because I feel like he might not be released in like the US or like he'll, he'll be rarer. Yeah. I'll tell those, you, the, like, those both seem really like cool masterpiece toys just to interject of the pictures that mm-hmm. I've seen. 
Yeah, like, Prowl, like, when I opened him and, like, transformed him, like, he is so, like, spot on, like, to even these images here. Like, it's it's almost amazing that they can kind of retroactively, you know, make a toy that so fits, like, his character model for the show. Like, it's dead on. Like, it's an amazing toy. I did have his Action Master toy with a turbo cycle. Like, and I have a reissue of his G1 toy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I have his alternator. Like, I, I pretty much bought anything that was named Prowl, I think. <laughs> so I probably have, like, all the, like, the Minicon and stuff, too. Yeah, in retrospect, like, the alternator is almost a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of like its legs are terrible, and he's, like, really, like, big in the chest. Yeah, he's and... got that goofy chest. Yeah. I did like the fact that he comes with, like, an er energy baton or something, like a police baton. Mm -hmm. I thought that was funny. I think think on the strength of Prowl's character in G1, when I knew basically nothing about the Robots in Disguise anime, the one toy I bought from that line was Prowl. Yeah, that's Uh, exactly the same as me. I'm like, I hadn't... I was like, I was like, I probably, in, in retrospect, I, being who I am, I probably would have liked Sideburn better, like, once I had seen the show or whatever, because um, I kind of think of him as, like, a hot rod type, but, but yeah, just based on, you know, knowing the character and, and having that familiarity with him, I was like, oh, I guess I should get pro, so. Yeah, that's exactly the same with me. I hadn't even watched the show, and I saw him in, like, a a, a store, and I was like, oh, yeah, he looks like an update of the G1 guy, so I bought him, and then I started, I watched the show a little bit, and I was like, okay, well, he's not exactly the same guy, really, but still a cool toy. Cool, all right, so moving on from Prowl, we are now moving on to Ramhorn, who is an Autobot warrior who has no first appearance, but... I'm pretty sure, I, I can't think of the issue number, but I know he eventually appeared later on in the in the Marvel Comics run. His uh, quote is, flee before me or else you'll fall before me. Um, this is kind of odd because as opposed to like basically every other cassette that we've seen to date, his cassette mode is featured as like the main image here, whereas most people, you know, you see their robot mode first, and for some reason here, his his cassette form is the priority, and in addition to that, he has a yellow Decepticon symbol, so (laughs) I I don't know if that was just, like, recycled art from, like, some Decepticon, like, you know, like some weird, you know, like, rumble, you know, cassette tape or or some other image, but it's got a Decepticon symbol on it for some reason. Error. Yeah, and then then his his rhinoceros mode is down there at the bottom, insinuating that he's normally a tape who turns into a a rhinoceros as opposed to the other way around or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And apparently he he talks as a rhinoceros, so there's that too. So you know, there's there's plenty of funny things uh, as far as that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I guess the the main Ramhorn spotlight is when you know you had that oh shit moment in Transformers the movie when all the the blaster tapes came out to combat Soundwave's onslaught on the little communications tower. But I, I, for me, that's probably the highlight of. That's the only props I can give to Ramhorn because I did have that oh shit moment, and and I guess you know twenty five percent of it is owed to uh, to Ramhorn there. So 
Man, even like I'm, I'm looking at his rhino mode. Even the rhino mode has a Decepticon symbol on the head. Someone got. Oh something yeah, on. yeah. Weird. Okay, I, I, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Someone got something wrong. I, maybe they thought he was going to go with Soundwave at some point. I don't know. I mean, he does look pretty deadly there. So maybe he was originally thought of as a Decepticon in, uh, in concept. Hmm. Um, I do. I do remember there was that one episode of season three where he was, like, in an episode, and he actually, like, talked like a regular character and yeah. stuff, whereas, like, usually the cartoon would portray yeah. the animals as just animals. Well, even even in Call of the Primitives, he was one of the, the guys just, you know, kind of growling and going along with yeah. the and stuff, so, yeah. So, uh, this will be the last entry for this episode. Uh, we're finishing up, I think, the R's here. We are on Ramjet, and Ramjet is a Decepticon warrior. He's one of the second season group of Seekers. His first appearance is in Transformers issue number 17. His quote is, if it flies, crash it. So, I, you know, basically, uh, I kind of know his tech spec almost by heart, because this was the first Decepticon Seeker I ever owned. And, you know, of course, his name kind of says it all, too. But, you know, basically, the the tech spec goes into how, basically, he likes crashing into stuff. And, and he's very territorial and kind of, you know, basically, that, that's his whole deal. He He's built to survive crashes and... He, he will go out of his way to crash into the enemy when he is in the air. Um, my only other funny story about Ramjet, uh, talking about toys and old funny stories, is I think I mentioned this in the past on another show about how I had the the bigger-sized Leader One GoBot, like not the standard small Leader One, but the more deluxe-sized, like, bigger model of Leader One. And I took a bunch of testers paint and tried to paint it yellow and red and blue so it looked like Starscream because I never owned a Starscream. And I think in my mad quest, because I, I never owned a Starscream, and I was always trying to make somebody Starscream because whether he was a ghost or, you know, alive or dead, he was always such a prominent, important character. And so poor Ramjet also... Um, also fell into the category of my my pitiful attempts to to customize and I, I remember uh, having like a bunch of weird like red and 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 gold paints on a poor ramjet to try and you know sort of modify him into looking like Starscream, which was horribly unsuccessful and of course his wings uh, don't look anything like the original seekers wings because they're kind of more longer and you know, they kind of go along with side his legs, at least in, in this, you know, character model. And, um, you know, I don't know how people normally transformed him, but I kind of put the wings down there as well. So it was kind of an abstract, utter failure as far as trying to approximate Starscream. But yeah, that's, that's what I got on Ramjet. I don't know that I have a whole lot on Ramjet. Um, I thought it was cool that, uh, you know, the second wave of Seekers had different styled wings from the first and whatnot and seem to, uh, at least in appearance, differentiate themselves from the other three a little bit, a little bit more so than the first three did. I had his G2 toy, and I really like his classics, but 
other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not much. He's a simple, pretty simple character, you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, how 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 long did 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 uh like Bob Budiansky like think up his characterization? Like, you know, <laughs> he rams things. He's ramjet. <laughs> he runs into things. That's it. Greenlight Next. it, Larry. The kids Greenlight love jets it. that ram things. I just changed heads last week. All right. Well. I guess that pretty much wraps up this episode of Fanhole's podcast. Uh, we know these are running kind of long. Um, we enjoy talking about Transformers and going through these page by page. We hope you do as well. Um, but because it's running pretty long, you know, like we did with the last episode, we're, we're skipping the awesome thing for these page by page episodes. But uh, we will be back next week, and we will be doing Transformers Universe issue number three. So if you have any comments or questions, or, you know, if you like this style of podcast, and maybe, you know, you're hoping to see more in the future, whether it's with other, you know, Dreamwave uh, Transformers character issues and stuff like that, or anything else, uh, you know, Marvel Universe maybe, something like that, uh, you know, official handbook type stuff, uh, you know, let us know. And, uh, you know, we're definitely interested in any feedback you guys might have. Uh, you can send those emails uh, to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. But until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. It's Mike. Peace. Through tyranny. My eyes!